Coming up on episode 124 of Pixel Guide N. We discuss our favorite handheld system and dig into the origin of our names. I review Gravatar Recharged, an Intellivision and ColecoVision battle. Tim talks about how they used to get the games to you. A controller that looks like a hot dog. More good new products from Atari. We talk collectible controllers and discuss the month of love. Eric, it is the season of love, my friend. In fact, today is actually Valentine's Day, which is why I dialed you up to record a show of Pixel Guide N. <laughs> exactly. It was the perfect day to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this is the, the time of year where we make sweet <laughs> ear love to our, <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners. Is that what? <laughs> I I don't even I don't even want you to repeat that. I didn't quite quite get everything you said, but I don't think I want you to repeat it. Uh, I'm trying to say that the love that we pour out to your community enters their ear holes through our podcast. Oh, okay. Yes. I mean, this is a family friendly show. Um, <laughs> my name is Cody Hoffman. I'm Eric Nelson. And if you're uh, looking for two dudes talking through microphones at you in borderline inappropriate ways, I guess. Uh, you've come to the right place. We're here to talk about retro video games and retro-inspired video games. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a bit goofy this month, Eric. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It's been a rough month, weather-wise, work-wise, everything. It hasn't been fun. It's not been a, it's not been a great month for lovers, really. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Lovers of video games included. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, we put together a pretty good show, I think. Uh, I, I'm excited about it. Uh, we are recording on the 14th. The show releases on the 15th. Uh, typically, we, we don't do that. Um, so, uh, I also have a, a bit of a throat bug. Um, oh, that's no good. Yeah, so I'm going to try not to make disgusting sounds into the microphone. But if I do, I'll just apologize right now. I'm going to try not to, but if I do, now you'll know that I've already said I'm sorry because I don't want to keep doing that throughout the whole show. <laughs> uh, that being said, we do, like I said, have a good uh, series of shows lined up for February in 2024. Uh, Eric and I are going to start, as we always do, with some quick questions from some of our favorite listeners who gave us some questions through our Discord server. Um, we're going to save Eric's take for next month, uh, or I'm sorry, next, next week on the, the, the 30th, which there is no 30th. And so the 29th, I That's caught right. it this time. No, it's the no leap year. It's the leap day. No user feedback this time. And it's That's sad right. that I forget that. Cause I was actually, my birthday is the 28th. So you'd think <laughs> I would know that. Uh, but we are going to hear from Tim via tea time with Tim. And I love how he put this. His topic is how they used to get the games to you. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm guessing he's trying to be vague on, perfe- on purpose. Maybe. 
how they used to get the games to you. Yeah, I'm kind of curious because we uh, we obviously haven't listened to that yet, but it, like physically, I mean, did like bike courier or like uh, in the mail? I don't know. I'm I'm eager to hear what he has to say. I really don't know. It's a 45 minute expose on the Pony Express. Yeah. Um, I will be doing a Cody's Corner and uh, spoiler alert, Eric. I know everyone yeah. was waiting with bated bated breath. I did delve back into the realm of Atari recharged. Uh, games good and uh, picked out one as I said I might last month that I have heard good things about because so, I wanted a winner this time and it is Gav- uh, Gravatar Recharged so I'll be talking about that we of course are going to go over the news and Eric and I will then be battling two systems that we don't play enough uh, and two games on those systems that nobody plays right <laughs> fairly obscure games um, do you want to run those down for us? Yeah. So the two games we are covering are Bomb Squad, one of the, I think there's only eight. I have it in my notes, so I'll verify that. But only eight games that support the voice uh, module for the Intellivision. Yep. Um, and this is one of them, Bomb Squad. And we're going to do versus War Room for the Intellivision. I'm sorry, they're for the ColecoVision. The ColecoVision, yes. They're both, it's a battle of the vision the the <laughs> the visionary the, systems visionary systems that atari worth its lackluster architecture just laughed at as it rode off with all the money exactly but we have a love for these these systems so uh nonetheless that is our show in a nutshell uh at this point in the show we delve right into some talk by talking about some quick questions quick questions The first one is from Retro Dream State. It was the question was posed in our Discord, which if you are a Patreon member, you get to be part of our Discord. And I don't think we've of, heard from Retro Dream State in our quick questions yet. This is a, this is the first time. I think it might be. I think it might first be. time um, writer into into quick questions specifically. Yep. So his question is: What is your favorite handheld portable from the past? And I know I, we've had this question like. Uh, a couple of times in the past or, or some permutation of that question. But I honestly enjoy getting repeat questions because my answers change. Yeah. And I think the questions that can all be one word different, which changes the question a lot. Yes, it does. It, it very much does. But yeah, for this one, why don't you go ahead and answer it, Cody, your favorite handheld portable from the past. So as I like to do and make this more complicated than it is, I have multiple answers depending on what that question means. Um, yeah. In the past as a kid, nostalgia-wise, the Game Boy uh, SP was probably the one I loved the most. The Game Boy Advanced SP, specifically that form factor. Um, but if I was going to pick my favorite... So when you say from the past, if you're talking about like my history, when I was in that time period where that was new, it would be the right. Game Boy Advance SP, Brilliant screen, really good games, uh, backlit screen. I uh, never bought the original Advance because it was it looked like a children's toy. And it wasn't backlit and it didn't look like something for me, but the, the SP sold me on it. Um, but if you're asking me right now, what is what my, my favorite old handheld? Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess, Eric, you and I probably, probably share this opinion. It's the Neo Geo Pocket. I think that's the coolest thing, and I wish, wish I was into it at the time when it was current or the, the very short window that it was current in the United States. Uh, just 
the way that thing feels in the hand, the micro switches uh, on the sticks and the buttons, uh, every game on there is a good game or better. Uh, yes. There's not a lot of dogs on there. And uh, it's just a really, really cool system that needs needs more love. What about you, Eric? I agree. So yeah, so I'll agree with you, and I'm going to divide that divide divide it up into two. So just like you did. So right now, what is my favorite one after collecting all of them would probably be the Neo Geo Pocket. Um, I do have love for the Wonder Swan though as well. Love the Tate mode that you can put that in. Like a lot of games were designed to be in yeah. the Tate mode. Um, but but a Neo Geo Pocket Color, you just can't beat the hardware, the sound, uh, the graphics. Every game is a winner on there. Uh, I, I wish more games, I wish there was a vibrant, uh, you know, uh, scene now like the C64 has, or does that spectrum where games were coming out for the Neo Geo pocket color? That would be amazing. But back in the day, the funny thing is I only owned two portable systems way back. And that mm-hmm. was the Mattel Microvision. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't remember it, but I've. I, yeah. I know about it. Yeah, the microvision with the big, like the whole cartridge had the screen on it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's machine. a system that I would love to find. I know they're hard to find in working condition. They, I mean, they, they pretty are. much need to be repaired, like, just because the age actually does kind of destroy them. Not just yep. not just being knocked around, but just by existing. The um, LCD gets all like blackened out because I've looked for them because I'd love to have yeah. them for nostalgia reasons. Um, and then I had the, the original Game Boy, and I only had three games for that. So that's all I had um, for portable systems. So I'm actually going to throw a little my hat in the ring for the Microvision. My sister and I played the crap out of that. We got it on clearance sale. My parents bought it in a bin, like I nice. think in Woolworths or something, and it was like 20 bucks. Um, and we had, we had a lot of games, seven or eight games for that, and they didn't make that many of them. Um, and these were the simplest games. More than in half the world. of the collection right there. Yep. And and the games were so simplistic. I mean, literally, like, I forget the dimensions, the geometry of the screen, but it was like a 16 by 16 grid or something of, um, you know, of, of uh, on an Dot LCD matrix screen. Or, yeah. So, but my sister and I played it so much that we wore the buttons out because the buttons stayed on the system, but the screen and a few other things, I think the buttons did change with the cartridge. That's right. Um, but we wore them out. We played them so much because there were those bubble buttons, you know, that pressed the uh, button, yeah. but it was like, um, and we wore the domes out on those and eventually we had just had to throw it away. But, oh. um, man, uh, I, the Microvision would probably be my favorite from back in the day. So... That'd be a cool thing if they decide to remake that again. Oh man, that would be so awesome! Especially if you had those big chunky face cartridges. If you if you're out there listening and you don't know what it is, just look up a picture of one on a uh, on YouTube or on on Google or something because it's something to be seen. I mean, it it was the first system that had interchangeable cartridge, at least the first first handheld, yeah, first handheld system. But that thing did come out in the in the late seventies. So I mean, that thing's. It's funny because, like you said, that the quote-unquote handheld cartridges were a cartridge plus the buttons themselves plus, yeah, probably the architecture for whatever game you're about to play. Because really, I think the actual handheld itself was more or less just a large screen in a plastic case with a connector. That's right. Right. Yeah, it's it, kind it, of <laughs> these things look like giant remote controls, like for your TV, but like giant. So it was very cool. And of course, as of, uh, you know, what that came out in the late seventies, I believe. I think so. 78, 
grips, I think, maybe something like that. So, of course, it was like sharp, edgy plastic that was beige, I believe. Right. Yeah, exactly. The cartridges were, yeah. The um, At least from my memory, the system itself was... Um, um, the system itself was br- like dark, dark brown, while the, every cartridge was kind of beiges. It would, so it came out in 1979. 1979. Okay, I'm actually looking at it now. So there is the brown. Actually, I was going to say if it was beige, that was actually cutting edge because that was really late 80s, 90s, the beige thing. So yeah, I was like, wood grain would be more of the era. But you're you're right. It's kind of a um a dark brown on the top and bottom, and a and a. Uh, Commodore tan <laughs> uh, brown for the for the physical unit itself. Yep, and it was sixteen by sixteen pixels. <laughs> sixteen by sixteen. Wow, it was the whole game not not just a sprite, but the whole game was sixteen by sixteen. But it was amazing what they could do uh, with that because I had a blast with it. I I actually really enjoyed it. So that would be cool if they recreated these for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nice. Second question from David Modalak. Yes. That's the way you pronounce it, right? I know you do it in the song all the time. So that's how I've been expert. doing it forever. He's never corrected us. In fact, okay, I think good. Was it him? No, it wasn't him. Uh, there are a couple people of our listeners when they first signed up, they said, I'm not going to tell you how, how to say my name. Yeah. And they had us guess. <laughs> and then they never told me if I was right or, or not. So yeah. We're just, so let's hope yeah. that is. Yeah. He says, I have a question that maybe you could do sometime. I don't think you've ever talked about this. What is the background on your screen names? I know Tim's is based on a game, which I think he admitted wasn't a great game, but sounds cool, which is sanctioned. <laughs> um, but I've always been curious what Dub Project is about. Oddball sounds random, but maybe there's a story behind it. So you want to start with the, with yours? Yeah. And I, to, to For the record, I think we did cover this, but we covered this on like episode three. Oh, <laughs> it, it was, you know, it's time during, to refresh our stories. It was our introductory uh, period. And uh, yeah, and I, I do remember yours, but I'll, I'll let you tell yours. Yeah. Uh, mine's pretty simple. Uh, it's kind of a, a nod to uh, my dad in a way who, um, so growing up, my dad, my dad's a nerdy guy. All right. He's an engineer. He's very much an engineer. Um, and uh, he's, you know, he, everyone's got their quirks and I, I love this about my dad, but he has like five movies that he loves <laughs> from like the yeah. past. Mm-hmm. And, and he always, you know, it's one of those things where every time that movie is a, a, a discussed or comes up, he has to like describe it to everyone. Like it's, we've never heard him describe it to us before. Uh, so one of his movies that he absolutely loved and showed me as a kid was Kelly's heroes. Yeah. You remember, I remember that, that movie? movie? Oh yeah. And so Kelly's heroes, uh, for those who don't know, uh, you know, is it, it kind of a, I want to say it was kind of in the, uh, must have been released in the late 70s early 80s late 70s um and it's about world war ii uh really good movie you got to watch it it's a war movie but it's also a comedy um and there's a character in that movie called uh it's played by donald sutherland yeah and he's this hippie guy he's like this super chill beatnik hippie who happens to be the leader of a tank battalion for the u.s army these these tanks these shermans and it's hilarious because, like, I mean, you have to watch a movie, but mid-war, like, there's they're fighting going on, and they decide to take a break, and he just pulls out a lawn chair and just, like, lays back and, like, sunbathes in the middle of this battle. Or he replaces yeah. all the um, all the uh, ammunition with uh, paint, saying that uh, 
it it paints pretty pictures and scares the hell out of them. <laughs> uh, anyways, his character is Oddball. That is the character's name. That's his handle. That's what he goes by. So yeah. I've kind of just rolled with that my whole life, Oddball. And, uh, of course, it wasn't available when I actually went onto Twitter. So it's Oddball, but the L's are ones because that's uh, – what's the word for, for the, the cool writing where you put numbers yeah, in place? I, the, the lead talker. That's lead there you it's go. Leet, yeah. Leet. So that's all it is. It's not terribly impressive, but uh, it's a fun yeah. nod to my history, I guess, with my dad. Yeah. I'll keep mine really short since we did talk about this before. But Duh Project was a website that I started way, way back when the web was new and shiny. Um, I think it was literally like in the near the year 2000, 2001, something like that. I don't remember anymore. When you started using Netscape this- Navigator? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it was like, um, it was a website that, um, really you could talk about anything. It was a forum type where you can submit a story and then there was like a forum below it. And that sounds really dumb now, but back then when the web was new, it was a very new ish thing uh, to kind of do. It's so almost people, social media. Exactly. And so it started off like, uh, you know, talking about politics or video games or anything, anything you wanted to write a question out, you could categorize it. You, you had to sign up to the website and you would post on there. And the, the funny, the only funny story I have about the whole thing was that about the whole website, well, it was www.dubproject.com. And if you go on archive.org and you go to the Wayback Machine, you can look at the history of Dub Project, but you have to go way back. So I used it for other things later on. But way back, you can see pictures of the website. It looks really <laughs> cheesy. It looks very Homer Simpson looking. Um, but it it um here's the funniest thing is that like I had this website and it was doing okay, you know, with friends and local people. And then Google was kind of new back then. So I got on Google and they were like, hey, you could advertise on Google. If you pay us X amount of dollars, you can, you can, we'll, we'll, we'll make you jump to the top of the list in searches. And we'll also put little (laughs) ads. We'll put little ads on people's websites with your website. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, well, that must be expensive. And it turned out it was like maybe 75 bucks or something for like a month. And they would, (laughs) they would give you like 2000 like images or something or impressions or whatever they said. And I was like, Oh, this is dumb, but I'd love to have more traffic. And I, I put that in there and I got hit by so many, cause that was the web was pretty new. I yeah. got hit by so much traffic that it crashed my website. You broke the internet. Yep. I broke the internet. And, uh, and then from <laughs> then on, I had hundreds of new users and my website actually That's got awesome. pretty popular and I loved it. It was a lot of fun. And then, if you didn't keep the ads up, it would just kind of die a slow death. You know, I just, yeah, yeah. so eventually after maybe a couple of years of running that, I just stopped running it. And I, I used it for my personal blog and website for a while way back. And basically that was it. So that dub project was the name of the website. I don't even remember why I called it that. It was, the, I think a play on the project. Um, the real question, David Modelak is how come you don't remember the phenomenon <laughs> that was exactly. the project forums? I was this close to being Yahoo. How do you know? Uh, Eric Zuckerberg over here. Exactly. But anyway, that's it. It's not a great story, but it was, kind of, yeah, it was fun for me. But no, it is a great story. 
Hmm. All the cool stuff you can buy at retrorewind.ca, Eric. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. At Frank the, and the Elves. Duh-retro-rewind.ca. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are listening to the show, there's a high uh, likelihood you're interested in some of the systems we partake in regularly, uh, like any of the awesome microcomputers from Commodore, such as the Commodore 64, the 128, the 16, the Plus 4, the VIC-20, even the Amiga line of computers, or ever, maybe, you're, maybe you're a little more eclectic. And you uh, I love the uh, the super American Tandy color computer line of computers. Well, you can get parts for all those computers and more at RetroRewind.ca. That's right. Uh, uh, an Ameri- American leather company making a computer being supported by Frank and the boys over in Canada. Exactly. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we got here. Eric, what can you get over there at this RetroRewind.ca site? What can't you get? But uh, more precisely, what you can get is you can get stuff for all those Commodores. The Commodore 64, of course, is my wonderful, Your well, jam. not my first computer, but it was my second computer. But it was really the one that defined my my life was the Commodore 64. But one thing I found find really cool is that he sells capacitor kits. So if you want to replace all the capacitors in your Commodore 64, you can jump in there and he will have all the capacitors already selected for you so you don't make any mistakes. Or, of course, you can send it to him to recap at a very low cost. Another thing is Jiffy DOS. If, for people that don't yeah. know, the Commodore 64 disk drive is the slowest thing on the planet. Um, the Commodore was much derided back in the day for having very slow data disk transfer speeds. And so a lot of solutions came out back in the day um, I just used a fast load cartridge from Epics, but nowadays you can get Jiffy DOS, which is a chip replacement that you pop into your system and you can pop them into the drive as well. And it will accelerate your, your disk transfers by quite a bit, not to mention it puts a little DOS wedge in there so that you have a, these shorthand commands to do disk things. Um, I have Jiffy DOS for my systems um, and R- RetroRion sells official Jiffy DOS chips, which you can go online and get all sorts of uh, sketchy ones, if you will. But if you want the official ones that are supported by Frank or and Retro Rewind, you want to get on here and get those. Eric, that sounds expensive. It is not expensive. It is not expensive. His prices are always uh, perplexing to me because they're always so low. I mean, um, if it was me, I would be a capitalist American pig and I would charge $100 a kernel for some Jiffy <laughs> DOS, but if you go on right now, I'm looking right. Eight American dollars, Eric. Eight American dollars yep. for for that, and very reasonable shipping. And let's say you know what, great. Uh, Eight dollars for shipping. That's a, lot mu- a, a bit much. What else can I add to my order so I feel like I'm getting the full scope of what they have to offer there? Well, maybe you've got a Tandy computer, and you want to do something similar there, right? You want to go ahead and upgrade your your Tandy. So you're going to go out there and get the Hitachi 3609 CPU. Pop that thing into your Tandy Color computer so that it can play all the cool software. Um, it is a pin-to-pin direct replacement for the 6809E found in all Tandy Color computers after a certain point. Um, so 
I, I actually did buy this. Uh, I To this day, Eric, I have not popped it in, which I hate myself for this. I'll touch on that later in the show. But yeah. uh, so much cool stuff you can get over there at Retro Rewind. So go check it out. Uh, throw a shirt in your order, really good-looking shirt, and save 10%, Eric, if you use a code PG10 at checkout. Make sure you log in. Otherwise, yep. that won't work for you. Uh, get ready to check out your cart and type PG, as in Pixel Gaiden, PG10, to save 10% off everything you throw in your cart and press buy. Cool, cool. All right, sir. Um, it's almost time for you and I to to crack open some beers. Yeah. So let's do that. But before we do that, let's mm-hmm. make sure everyone knows how they can get a hold of us. Let's go ahead and honor our patrons with a half-hearted song. I'm going to be honest, uh, Eric. I, d- I did the song fairly half-hearted. <laughs> but the patrons are in there. Of course. Uh, uh, with the exception of one. So we want to mention his name uh, because he joined it up right after I made the song. Uh, is, that not, is that right, Eric? Yeah, because I texted you right when I got the email that Peter Price is our latest Patreon subscriber. And as soon as I got in the mail, I quickly texted you and was like, oh, man, this guy just signed up. Is it too late for the song? And you had already recorded it. So, Peter Thank you for signing up, and next month you will be in the song for March. Yes, thank you, Peter Price. And uh, unfortunately, I don't even have my Price is Wrong sound effect, because that would be too perfect right now. Exactly. So we're also going to hear Cody's Corner and Tea Time with Tim, and then we'll catch you with some fresh beers on the other side of that. Hey there, it's Tim. And I've got all the information you need about the Pixel Gaiden podcast. If you didn't know already, you can find the show Podbean site by visiting pixelguiden.com from your browser of choice. And while you're on your browser, why not check out our podcast feed on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network? You can find it at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. Have you got any questions? Has something we've said driven you crazy enough to want to call us out? Or you just want to say hi? We love getting your feedback. So here are the ways you can contact us. You can reach us on the show Twitter account, which is at pixel underscore guide N. You can email us and our address is podcast at pixelguiden.com. And if you want to reach us directly, that's Cody, Eric or Tim. The best way to get us is through our Discord channel on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network. You can get there by becoming a patron of our show at $3 or more, and we will get you a link to join the fun. If you want to reach Cody, Eric or Tim directly, you can get us on the following platforms. You can reach Cody on Twitter or X and that's at oddball49. That's oddba one one four nine. Eric is also on Twitter and on Mastodon and you can get Eric on Twitter at the project. That's D-U-H-P-R-O-J-E-C-T and at Mastodon is at the project at oldbytes.space. And Tim is on Mastodon at Sanxion, that's at S-A-N-X-I-O-N, at oldbytes.space. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you'd give us a review, and also for any of the other podcast catchers that you may use. Here on Pixel Guide N, we like to announce every patron subscriber that subscribes at a $3 or more level by using our random adjective generator and a little bit of song. And this month, we're getting moody with some late 90s indie rock. Impulsive. Paul 
Welcome to Tea Time with Tim for the 124th episode of the Pixel Guiden podcast. Let's set the scene a little. It's sunny little England in the very early 1980s. There is a new thing starting to edge its way into popular society that's breaking out from its grassroots as a purely business tool. I'm of course talking about the home micro. Now let's put aside the Atari VCS, the Coleco, etc. All the early running console systems. 
In England, for sure, they were popular, but the home micro had so much going for it in terms of potential quality of games, cost, and the ease of making these games. As home computers like the ZX80, the ZX81, Oric and the Spectrum were making their way onto the market, there was a cottage industry of home-based users creating and writing all sorts of weird and wonderful programs, starting off often with BASIC, and working their way to full machine language code when they started to see the limitations of the BASIC programming. As the early 80s went on, there was an abundance of software going around. But the issue was that this was hard to get hold of in the early years. It was mostly uh, distributed by mail order, uh, and that would be in the form of the early computing magazines. Programmers literally were taking on the design and production of all these programs and selling them directly themselves. I can even remember stories of Tim and Chris Stamper, the founders of Ultimate Play the Game, actually going round to some of the early independent stores that sold games and delivering them directly. So this is where the gap in the market for the middleman came. Someone who will gather all those games in one place, buy them in, ship them on and take a cut from selling them to their ever-growing markets. From these early years, companies grew into industry giants and some of them are still going today. So coming up in this episode, I'm going to talk about uh, my recollection back in the 80s when I worked in game stores and about some of these companies. Now, my first job at an indie retailer, I was quickly moved up into having the responsibility for ordering new games, keeping inventory of existing and making sure anyone who ordered specific titles would be able to get them. We had a very simple system back then. If you wanted a game and it wasn't on the shelves, we could order it in. So the process was, it was just a clipboard with an order sheet attached to it. We would take their contact details and the name of the title or the game that they wanted. I would book them into our order system on the lovely little old Amstrad PC 1640. And from that, we could generate lists of who needed what. Print out and speak to our suppliers to try and get the games and programs for the customers. Now, these companies, or distributors as they were known, would call each day and go through what was new with them, any back orders that had come in, and then I would go through and place any specific customer orders with them. So two of the biggest companies I used to deal with in the early 90s um, were, uh, let's start off with Microdealer. Uh, They were based out of a a place called Milton Keynes in England. Um, And I remember through my time in dealing with them, I had the same contact all the way through. And that was a a young lady called Tracy. Um, She was a fun person to talk to. And we did eventually uh, meet up at one of the various exhibitions that we used to go to um, for games and all that sort of stuff Um, they stocked pretty much all the new releases um, and we would get the bulk of our stock from them apart from one of the biggest labels and that being us gold and that brings me to centersoft this company is still going to this day however back then if you wanted to get one of the super popular us gold games this was the only place you could get them Centersoft was essentially the distribution arm for US Gold Games and the reason it came into existence. 
Along with US gold, they picked up many exclusive over the years, but the biggest fish they landed was the exclusive rights to the Sony PlayStation. I have very loose links with Centersoft. In fact, that two of the very early guys that work there, a chap by the name of Simon Cairns and also Mark McCubbin, would leave Centersoft and set up a distributor in Wembley. Yes, that of the same place of the famous Wembley Stadium. The reason for this link is that Mark and I used to get on really well with him to the point that we became good friends and he asked me if I wanted to come and work for them as I had such a good understanding of the games market at such a young age. So that's why I left my first job and went to work for Mark at Universal Distribution. Another thing that Centersoft also did, along with some of the software houses directly themselves, is to have on-road marketing. This was people that were employed to drive around the country, visit all the computer stores and push their clients' latest games. Uh, Deliver merchandise like posters, badges, t-shirts, standees that we could give out to customers or we could use for window displays. They would also try and push us for pre-orders, of course. They would never really hold us to those orders, but they were a good way of gauging and indicating a the supply that they uh, the software publishers might need and also obviously gauging an interest and in how many copies people think they might sell yeah, that would kind of go along the line of how popular they think the game was going to be gem distribution this company in the early 1980s were very small and mostly focused on business and peripherals however they soon shifted their market more into the games area They would later go on to supply the Microsoft Xbox into the UK market to independent retailers. Silica Distribution Limited, or SDL, this company was more familiar in the mid to latter part of the 80s, being well known, at least here in the UK, for their stores that they owned as Silica Shop. They specialised in home computing and selling Atari and Commodore hardware. To the point they sold so much, they started their own distribution arm, selling hardware out to other retailers. At their height in the early 90s, they would be one of Commodore and Atari's biggest partners, selling through the full range of systems, monitors and peripherals. They also used to bundle their own game packs with the Amiga and ST. This would allow the indie retailer to set themselves apart from the big electrical giants like Dixons and Currys selling the same kind of packs, but having a pack with five or ten games to sell on with the hardware over and above the bundle that Commodore or Atari were doing themselves. Some of you may be familiar with those packs that were called the 10 Star Pack, which was a pack of 10 games, or the Zool Pack that used to come with Zool and Pinball Dreams on the Amiga. Amstrad also used to sell through with SDL for their range of PCs, and I can even remember SDL selling the Mega PC, the now hard-to-find and expensive MS-DOS-based PC with a Mega Drive built into the same unit with a colour monitor. This system is one of my personal biggest regrets. I was actually given one of these fully boxed. Back then, it was a slow PC with a Mega Drive built into it. And this is when the PS2 and the Dreamcast was coming to the market. So I sold it on. I wish I had kept that. 
Next up is Columbus Distribution. They were based in the southeast of England, I believe in Essex or Sussex. They were a distributor I used in the early 90s, mostly for console games. They had a good selection of Sega games, but were also known for selling through rental video titles. This was common at the time, with the video rental and game rental market converging. Distributors of video uh, rentals would also take on selling Sega software at the same time. Uh, next one up is Prism Leisure. This was a company that sold through mostly closeout and bankrupt stock at cheap prices. However, they would also buy up older software titles and make and distribute their own bundles for 8-bit and 16-bit micros. But one of their biggest things they did in the early 90s and were one of the first in the UK to do this is they imported Sega and Nintendo games. They would often be selling Genesis branded Sega games along with Nintendo Game Boy titles at good prices. These were all grey imports um, and they would also import some Japanese titles. So not exactly legal to sell but then not exactly illegal to sell either. Um, if you're a retro game collector in the UK, you may have one of their bundle packs in your collection for the Spectrum or Commodore 64 or even the Amiga or ST. Last up is one of the giants of the industry, certainly in the uh, the 90s, um, and that is Terry Blood Distribution. And they also changed their name to T-H-E or The Distribution. This company was very much into music and video sales. However, this company were the company that Nintendo chose to sell official Nintendo systems and software through in the UK. So if you wanted anything first party and most other Nintendo titles and the consoles were all sold through them. As the second store I ran morphed into selling music, computers and consoles, they were a big part of my regular buying schedule. I can remember opening up boxes and pulling out all the new SNES consoles, copies of amazing Nintendo games like Zelda A Link to the Past, all with their plastic seals. Those games would be worth a small fortune like that now. So as you can tell, the life of a retailer in the 80s and 90s was a busy one, just trying to keep track of where you can get all the latest software and hardware from. A lot of the old distributors gone by the wayside now, but Centersoft at least are still going strong. I think Gem Distribution was still going by name up until a few years ago now, and I think they have been swallowed up by a larger company called Exertis. With the lack of small retailers out there now, the need for middlemen has mostly died off. Distribution has now derived back from first party to large national retailers like Game here in the UK and also now like the likes of the big um, UK retailer stores. I know this episode of Tea Time with Tim has been a little bit of a geeky niche episode, but I thought it was good to do a brain dump of these uh, thoughts. And maybe for those who never worked the other side of the counter of a game store, might be curious to hear how the software got onto the shelves and at least hearing how we in the UK handled that. Anyway, thanks for listening and I'll be back on the show next month.
Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cody's Corner this month of February 2024, in which I'm going to talk about, drumroll, awesome drumroll, yet another Atari recharged game. Yes, that is that is true after trying a few games, falling in love with one, and then kind of being disappointed by the last couple. I decided to cheat, go online, and find one that's been getting good reviews already so that I can get back in the spirit of the Atari Recharged line, which I want to love. I love the concept of, and again, I loved the first game I played, which was uh, Yars Recharged. Uh, so I wanted to try another one. Um, I played a couple other games. Go back to previous uh, episodes, Pixel Guide, and to hear those. Uh, but the one I chose this time because it looked cool, looked like one I was interested in, and I confirmed most people enjoyed this one is Gravatar Recharged. Now I will start uh, once again by reiterating that these are kind of updated, modernized envisionments, if that's a word, of old Atari classic arcade games. Uh, I guess not all arcade games. Yars was an Atari 2600 game specifically. but um, And uh, some of these games I have a little nostalgia for, and some of them I've never played the originals for. Um, Gravatar is one that, I, you know, it's a name I hear all the time. It sounds very much like an old classic arcade game. But it didn't really dawn on me that I've never actually played or even seen Gravatar. Um, so kind of wanted to touch on it real quick. I actually played the Atari Recharge game and then realized, you know what? I'm going to go back and play the original game because I can't imagine how this could be an original classic early 80s arcade game. It's just, it seemed too modern. Um, so I went back and looked at some gameplay online and, uh, I'll get some sound effects going here in the background, but, um, it's a cool looking game. 1982 came out, um, it's got cool vector graphics, which I love the old vector games. Uh, so looking at the gameplay online, of course, the uh, long play I'm watching or I, I watched got me super excited about it because it looked like a really nice concept, a game that I didn't realize was um, kind of a, an, a concept you could use in the arcade. It seems like it might not, uh, well, it did not do well in the arcades. A lot of them were converted to, uh, to other arcade cabinets, uh, I guess they weren't making much money, but I can see why this game's long and it's kind of really, it's kind of like a home game. Um, I don't see it as an arcade game. It seems like a game you'd spend a lot of time practicing at home and trying to explore different worlds and things like that. Um, But ultimately what it is, is a vector game where the core gameplay is these individual maps, if you will, that have a kind of very jagged, sharp uh, geometrical shape in the center of the screen that has its own force field of gravity and uh it's kind of always pulling your ship in so games like thrust or games like um lunar lander something like that that's your ship where you can rotate 360 degrees and thrust away from not the ground per se although it is the ground but uh in games like thrust and um lunar lander it's all you know the ground is the bottom of the screen in this case you're being pulled towards the center of the mass of the planet um, and you're trying to do a couple things. Uh, one is you can, of course, be shooting various enemies, these, typically these little artillery pods that are on the planets, sometimes little spaceships that are flying and shooting back at you. Um, and then there's these little blue items. Not sure what they are on the original game. I'm sure I could look it up. But you have a you know a thrust button, a shoot button, and then a third button, which allows you to have this little like tractor beam. And that tractor beam allows you to... Uh, kind of beam up these blue 
items, the treasures, whatever that you're trying to clear from the screen in some cases. Uh, and then the last thing you can do, which is pretty cool, is um, there are these, uh, oh shoot, I can't remember, reactors. So it'd be one kind of a tunnel kind of a, a scenario typically where you've got these tunnels to navigate while making sure you avoid bullets and take out artillery with the goal of getting to the reactor, shooting it, and then you have a timer that allows you so many seconds before the world blows up. So you have to back your way out of the planet and take off as you uh, ride off into the starlight while the planet blows up behind you, right? Really cool concept. And watching the game on the uh, on YouTube... Um, I was excited. I was really excited to try the original game because it looks super cool. Here's the deal. The original game, I didn't play that much. Maybe with a lot of practice, you could get used to it. Having some intense gravitational uh, pull by these planets mixed with a very slowly rotating ship and a thrust that is so touchy, it is very hard to control this original game. I think with just a few physics tweaks, this game could be, the original could be a whole heck of a lot of fun. I love the concept. I love that it's like a full-fledged experience, not just a quick arcade thing. Very creative title, so stoked about the concept the original game, but again, I have no nostalgia for it, and uh, a quick play kind of tells me uh, the gameplay is not quite as amazing as I was hoping it would be. All right, let's fast forward into current day. Gravatar Recharged, Atari redoes the game. And first of all, just like all these games, the music, uh, and, and I believe they're all done by the same person, is excellent. Uh, this game's a little different, though. Uh, what I like about this game is the music's there, and it is good, but you don't memorize it or anything like that because it's not like... It's ambient. It's more like an ambient music. It's got this really kind of creepy, cool, you're in space... Uh, what's going on kind of a uh, a, a mental uh, you know mind bend if you will um, love the fact that instead of having this big overworld map that you kind of just go to a planet in this new version you're kind of zoomed in going around a large sun and uh, the sun's kind of pulling you in but you can you can fly around in your ship and eventually planets are going to be coming by you as they orbit the sun and you can choose to go to those planets when you go near a planet this kind of um blue uh halo kind of slowly uh if you're close enough will slowly expand out from the planet until it fills up an outer circle and that kind of is basically a timer right you have to be in near that planet long enough for that to fill up and then you enter the planet and that will also come into uh, play later when you have uh, various, here, let me get the new game music going on here. When you have uh, various goals once you go to these planets, right? And that's where the action is. So you might have, uh, again, beacons on these planets where you want to go to each beacon. They kind of look like a little solar uh, satellite, uh, what do you call it, antenna kind of a thing. And you get near that beacon and stay within it long enough for it to power up. You can kind of hear them go zzzz. And you have to get all the beacons maybe on a certain level or uh, destroy all the artillery on a level. Or in this case, they don't just have artillery. They now have uh, rocket, these rocket launchers that will shoot at you. And those rockets will actually follow you a ways, but a lot slower, right? So you're trying to avoid them. Um, there is also uh, the addition of mines. So they're kind of like the mines you would see like in, in World War II, right? These 
underwater type of mines, but these are hanging off the planet. It's kind of a chain and a big ball with spikes on it, but uh, you want to shoot those to destroy them, but they make a big explosion, so you don't want to be that close to them when they go off. Um, this game also has uh, something I don't recall from the previous game, which is uh, fuel, so kind of like you know Thrust, games like that, where you have to make sure you keep your fuel up. Um, there's also... Uh, the reactors, as we mentioned, but in addition to that is when you're going through those tunnels, you might find these laser beams that kind of block your way, and they will be there for a few seconds, and then they turn off, and then they slowly warm up and turn on again. So you have some timing elements. Uh, You've also got uh, the addition of uh, things like, um, well, multiplayer is a big one. Uh, I was not able to test that, but man, it looks cool. And, and you can play uh, at least two players. I'm not sure if more. And uh, I'd love to try that with somebody uh, somebody else here from the show. Um, it, it seems like they have this, this unique gameplay edition where there's these tethers. So it's kind of a light line between your ships. And uh, you can't go too far from each other. Otherwise, it kind of pulls you back um, and really messes you up. So you kind of have a lot of teamwork when you're playing that way. Um, the way the game looks, uh, well, let me go, let me go back to that. The key issue I had with the original game is the gameplay itself. In this game, it is dialed in. It is, uh, don't get me wrong, it is a very hard game. This is by far the hardest of the recharge games I've played yet, but your ship moves as you would expect it to. Um, you can shoot like three shots at a time and then you have to wait for them to go off the screen or land before you can shoot again. Uh, so that's kind of got that old school feel. Um, but the, the overall controls of the way it thrusts, the way the gravity does pull you, but not super hard. It's, it's reasonable. Um, it controls very well. It feels right. There are some extra weapons and things you can get from time to time, but 95% of the game, I've noticed that you're just going to be playing with your standard shot. It, it does it for you, and you practice with it so much, it really comes into handy. Uh, you get you get pretty good at it. Uh, now, again, the look of the game. I dig the look. Uh, it is not... It doesn't really tr- hold true to the vector graphics of, of the original game, which is funny because a lot of these recharge kind of do a vector graphics style to the other games that were not originally vector games. This one was a vector game, and it's almost just this super simplistic, uh, almost ge- geometry dash kind of a looking thing, but it's cool. Um, anything that's a rock, an asteroid, or the, the actual land mass itself is just solid black, so it almost creates this reverse out, you know... Um, I guess it's an outline, but this reversed uh, contrast between uh, foreground being darker and the kind of the background being where you play. And of course, it's star fields and and blues and pinks and things like that. And then the enemies themselves are typically bright red or bright uh, blue, things like this. Some other gameplay adjustments to it as well. In the original game, if you touch anything, a bullet, ground, whatever, you die immediately. There is damage here. Uh, so, And it seems to be um, based on the amount you get hit. So um, if you delicately bounce off of something going very slow, it doesn't do too much damage to you. But if you smash into something hard, it will destroy your ship. Whereas taking a, a bullet or two uh, won't kill you, but that third one will. Um also, there's uh, power-ups and things you can earn through the game. And, of course, there's all kinds of um, 
uh, extra adders to extend the gameplay, which I really like uh, in all these recharged games. Uh, so the standard arcade mode, you know, you you start in the galaxy and you go into different planets, complete missions, kind of leave and go to other gal- planets and keep going as long as you can to get high scores. Uh, but there also is a mission mode in this this game as well, and and for me that's always where it's at. I love the mission modes. Uh, I want to complete all the missions. Um, they have some of the more interesting levels in those mission modes. Uh, you know, if, activate all the beacons, destroy the reactor, and get out in time. Destroy all the enemies, things like that. Um, you're also going to see fuel in this game, so your pickups are fuel. I don't recall if the original game actually had fuel. I know you picked up something blue, so that might have been what it was. Uh, but you can pick up weapons or you can pick up fuel. And as you use your thrust, of course, you use more and more fuel. So a lot of times you'll catch yourself trying to figure out how much do I push here versus, oh, I need fuel now. Um, so there's kind of a little risk-reward as well. Overall, love this game. I, I do love this game. I haven't got near the amount of time into it that I have put into Yars Revenge. I'm sorry, Yars Recharged uh, originally. But um, that's just because I haven't had it that long yet. Um I, I really want to get into this one and keep digging. Uh, I, I think I'm really going to spend a lot of time in this one. I'm going to try to complete everything. Uh, again, it is, uh, it's a game that I'm going to play in smaller spurts because it is difficult. Uh, Yars Recharge was difficult, especially towards the end. Um, but I had that, that, you know, one more vibe going for it. Or this is one that for whatever reason I like to play more in uh, 20 minute bursts. And then uh, anything with gravity. And with physics in it, uh, when I die, I get frustrated and I want to just um, stop, <laughs> take a breather, if you will. So this is one of those games, and uh, I can see myself really digging into this one and really enjoying it. Uh, score out of a hundred percent, you know, with the benchmark being here for me, Yars uh, recharged, which I gave, uh, I think, I think a ninety-five or ninety-four, something like that. Uh, this is good. It is a good game. It is not. Um, something that I will uh, uh, suggest to everybody. It is not a game like Yards Recharge that just captured me from the get-go, uh, but it is good, and I really enjoy it, and I want to dig into it. I'm going to give this one an 88 out of 100. So the real question, am I going to come back and do another Atari Recharge game next month? Am I going to keep this train rolling now that i found a second game that I really enjoy in the series? To be decided. That's all I will say about that. All right, we are back and we are with beer. Um, a couple of beers to try this time. I, I, I'm assuming you have a new beer this time. I do. I have all four new beers that I don't think I've had on the show before. Could be wrong. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, I, as I said, I'm feeling a little under the weather. Uh, so I got two beers because I don't feel like being sick and uh, first snookered. Right. Um, Understood. But nonetheless, uh, I see you do have a Doug mug there, so you're doing this right. I am. Correct. What are you starting with here, Eric? I am starting with the North Coast Brewing Red Seal Ale. Red Seal Ale. Yes, I've had that. It I actually has I, a seal, like the animal, it. like the art, yep. art, Seal. Exactly. I've had it before. And North Coast is a great one. I, I love uh, Old Rasputin, uh, yes. which is a very serious beer. That. that is a very serious beer. Um, <laughs> hopefully this one's less serious, if you know what I mean. Um, 
But yep, so this is North Coast Brewing Red Seal Ale. It is a it says water, malted barley, hops, yeast, and that's all. Simple. Simple. Back to the basics. Yep. So anyway, that's the one I am trying out right now. What about you? So I'm having another Fall River Brewing Ale. Uh, okay. It, it it dawned on me now after I look back that this has to be one of my favorite breweries. Fall, uh, first of where all, is that? Where is that located? Redding, California. Oh yeah, which yeah. is close enough to drive to. So I think I might have to go on a beer pilgrimage. I might need to take the uh, the old Lotus up the up the road for a little sports car drive and. Uh, yeah. And uh, how far is Reading? Three hours from here? Yeah, it's about three yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I used to go there quite a bit for work. It's a nice little town. <clears throat> I like it. Yeah. Uh, I've actually, I, I went in Boy Scouts one year. We went to Reading and, and canoed down the river, which was cool for a couple of days. But anyways, I want to go up and check this place out. But um, they have a new one here and I'm actually, I went on their website. Uh, so I can, in fact, let me just share my screen so you can partake with me, Eric. Please. Um, so their the website is currently showing this beer. It's Backcountry Cold IPA. I'm putting this cold. in the spreadsheet right now, like a nerd. Backcountry Cold IPA. Cold IPA. And man, the can does. I love the art. It might be these might be my favorite art on can. I just they look delicious. I don't know how to describe it. They're like clean and cartoony, but not too cartoony i don't i don't know how to explain it they look almost like a video game i would love like the video gra- video game graphics yeah. of a game i would really love <laughs> right um so this one's cool it looks like you're there's a bunch of snow there i don't know if you can see there's actually in the background there's a, a sasquatch yep, uh you can see and there's him, yeah. also a ufo in the background uh, uh beaming up a skier yep <laughs> uh but it's actually a really simple looking hand and it, the key feature is it's got one of the um national park signs where you would see, you know, Yosemite and it would say, you know, Na- California national park or whatever. Um, but it says backcountry cold IPA open yeah. to adventure. There's some skis there. It's, it's blue and snowy and it, it's a great label. Uh, but these guys also make, I'm going to z- zoom down here. You'll see a bunch of my favorites in here. Num num juice is one of my favorite beers ever. That's right. Great hazy. Yep. Then of course they made num and number, which actually has the dog bus from, from dumb and dumber. <laughs> from- <laughs> right. Harry and Lloyd. Uh, here's Hex, which is the, uh, the IPA I had on last episode, which I believe I gave a very high rating to. I, I love that beer. Yep. But I'm going to keep going down, Eric, because there's I forgot how many beers they make that I love. Uh, Lazy Hazy, which is like a, a, a fishing thing with a bobber. Uh, right. Love that one. It's called a Northeastern IPA, so very much in the style of all those really good beers that are uh, on the East Coast that are highly rated. Um Irish coffee nitro. You've had that with, with this with me on the show. I have, yes, and it's very good. I like that one a lot. Yep, Irish coffee cream stout with rich espresso in it, which was delicious. And they have so many other ones in here that I just need. I need to get up there and try and buy. So, uh, man, I that's thought, have I, thought I thought maybe I had a I had one of I brought one of those in my cooler, like a Fall River one, but I didn't. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw you over there searching around. So. Nonetheless, I'm going to go ahead and open this cold IPA, which I don't think an actual cold IPA is a thing, but uh, it is now because I'm opening it and I'm going to yeah. drink it. Eric. Yes. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. <sighs> True to four, mine is red. It That's is. not the Doug mug, though. 
It is, this mug. is the hand grenade mug. You're right. I got the Doug mug in the cooler, so it's my next one. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a good cold IPA. Is it? How is it? How's the hoppiness? It is. I, I guess it's not technically a hazy, but it it tastes thick. Um, so it's it's the offset. It, the hoppiness is offset by the viscosity, if you will. Oh yes, yes. All of their beers have a certain characteristic to it uh, that I can't quite define. It's almost like a. Um, it's going to sound bad, but it's a good thing. Almost like a waxiness, if that yeah. makes sense. So yeah, like a, I get a what waxy you're sweetness, if you will. Almost like um, I'll just I'll describe it this way because at first there's no way to make that sound good, but I'm going to describe it as what I would imagine it would taste and feel like to bite into like fresh honeycomb, like straight yeah. up bees honeycomb. That's good. This is good. How about your, uh, your seal? It's good. It's, it's got a malt. It is malty like a good red ale should be. It's got a little bit of a sweetness, but not too much, which ruins a red ale. Okay. Um, it, it has a little bit of a bite of something, uh, that isn't seal. It isn't a seal. You're right. Um, yeah, it doesn't taste like a seal at all. You know, seals are blubbery <laughs> and delicious. No, I'm just kidding. Um, kind of an, an acrid blubber flavor. Exactly. Um, it's very good. It, it, red ales for me are either hit or miss, and this one is a hit. So it is good. It's very, very good. Nice. Nice. So I do have a rating number if, you're, if you don't have yes. one in mind. Go. Uh, 29 days in February. Boom. All right. Let's do 29 since this is a leap day. The leap day. So I reserve the right to give quarter days because sure I use the four year calendar for yep. twenty for February twenty ninth. So out of twenty nine days, out of twenty nine days, this is good. Twenty five and a quarter, Eric. Twenty five wow. and a quarter. That's good. That means you really like it. Mm-hmm. So is did you say twenty five? Twenty five and a quarter. Twenty five and a quarter. That would be twenty five point twenty five. Is the way I'm going to put it. Ooh, in my spreadsheet. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm going to give mine a 24. It's good. It's great. But I got to leave room for, uh, I know I've had better red ales, so I'm going to yep. give this a 20. You know what? I'm going to give, I'm going to go fractional. I'm going to give it 23.5. I like it. You were indecisive. You're like 23 is too low. 23, but 24 seems high. That's right. Split the difference. I like it. Right on. Right on. Uh, Eric, real quick, I wanted you to touch base on uh, another piece of feedback we got we didn't mention yet. Okay. About Eric's take. Yeah, Eric's take is going to be about one thing or another. And it's the reason I don't have it ready for showtime here. It's going to be about I order, and this is going to be in the news. So I don't, I don't want to, or, or in our catching up. So that next episode, I'm going to talk about this. Uh, the whole process of doing this, but I ordered a Sindon light gun oh. and I got the, I got one with, with recoil. I got one, I got the top of the line, top of the line dog, a black one nice. um, with recoil. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I've, I'm preparing for it. Believe it or not, I've, I've done things. You're clearing out the room and making an exactly. alleyway. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've done things software-wise that I, I will reveal in catching up, so I don't cool. give away too cool. much. But um, but I ordered it, and it was supposed to be in already, and it hasn't, and I really want to do my Eric's take on it. But if it doesn't, I do have a backup. 
Uh, so I will. It, my Eric State could be about something else. All right, uh, but enough. I haven't. I haven't asked the person yet that I'm, <laughs> so I don't want to promise anything, but I do have a backup. There will be an Eric's take next episode. Let's just say I like that. it. I like it. One thing I didn't mention, I guess I might as well mention it now in my mm-hmm. true lack of professionalism. Yeah. Uh, next episode, we, of course, will have Tim on. We're going to have Eric's take on whatever he just said. Yes. Um, uh, we are not going to do a game show for the first time in a long time. Instead, I'm going to serve up a delicious appetizer oh. of questions, yeah. discussion points in a segment I'm going to call Coffee Talk. Mm, I love coffee. Um, they're really just talking points, but anyways, Coffee Talk. Uh, and then uh, we, of course, are going to catch up with Eric and Tim and myself. And then we have a six good games segment, which is going to allow us to delve into kind of ZX, the ZX Spectrum microcomputer as a whole up to and including the next. Yes. I'll leave it at that for now. I, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. I'll leave it there for now. Uh, but it's going to be very ZX Spectrum focused. So look forward to that. Until then, Eric and I are going to let you guys know all about the news. Reporting the Can I say something first about beer, Cody? You may not. Uh, the first news uh, item. Oh, sorry. So far, I know it's only February, but so far, my beautiful spreadsheet has already said that that is your number one beer of the year so far. I would not agree. Was the Hex the number two? Hex is number two. Uh, yes, number two. Yes, by far. The Lumen Basin What's Up, Bro, you only gave it's like 50 53%. Oh, so yeah, it wasn't good. This one is 87.06. That is your highest. That's so about far. where I, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. Man, I'm, I'm Eric. I'm in love. Uh, with <laughs> no, Fall River good. Brewing. I'm in love. I'm in love. It's the, and it's the month of lovers. There we go. Cool. Um, item number one. I thought this was cool. Hopefully you didn't look ahead. Hopefully this will be news to you. Uh, uh no, maybe, I did not. Oh, cool. So there is a device, uh, it looks like it is a Japanese-specific device. And I did a lot of research on this this particular company after the fact as well because I thought it was really cool. Okay. Um, company called Mur- <laughs> Muramasa Entertainment Yeah. Uh, came out with a device that is essentially... Uh, so, I, I, I did a, a segment when I got my Famicom disc... Uh, I'm sorry, my Famicom and my disk system for the Famicom. Yes. So for those who might not know, Famicom is the, what we call in the U.S., the, the Nintendo, the entertainment system. The first Nintendo came out a few years earlier in Japan, much smaller form factor, top-loading cartridge, really cool maroon and, like, off-white color scheme. And then they had a disk system that used these really cool three-inch yellow disks, mostly yellow, uh, that you could put underneath your Famicom and plug them together and play games from your NES by plugging this disc system into the back of your NES. There's a port back there in the, in the Famicom, and you can play games off a off like kind of like a computer, like a computer, right? You put it, put the disc in. They're they're two sided, and they read the disc. They load it into your NES, if you will, and, and you play games on them. And there's a lot of system exclusive games that never left. Japan or that the Famicom disk system itself. So I bought a disk system because they look super cool. 
uh, spent a lot of time trying to get up and working. I never quite got it dialed in to the point where I could actually get it to read the couple of discs I have. Uh, but I did find another device that allowed me to uh, basically load ROMs into this whole series of things. Regardless, maybe you want to play Famicom Disk System games easier than that mm-hmm. without having to buy a Japanese Famicom, without having to buy a Disk System or do any of this craziness. This company has made an NES cartridge that has a port in it that plugs into this cable adapter that they're providing here, and it will allow you to play Famicom Disk System games on your NES. Uh, they call it a Muramasa Disk System cartridge, allowing you to play back uh, Famicom Disk System games on the original front-loading NES. And uh, it's a version of the, the disk RAM adapter, and it routes the disk drive si- signals through the NES front loader expansion port pins to the disk EXP adapter, which connects to the Famicom disk system. It does all these things. So uh, it's actually going to be coming out for sale. Um, what's cool about it is, uh, is everything I just told you. What's not cool about it, it is $250. So it is not cheap. No, no, it's not cheap. Uh, it's also not complete. It's in prototype still. It's it's a proven concept, but it's not finalized. And um, yeah, it says what what's included. You get the disc cartridge and the adapter with disc system cable, as well as the Famicom expansion cable. So, gotcha. so you do still need to get uh, a working Famicom disc system drive and all that stuff. It doesn't do ROMs, etc. Well, so it's funny. It says that, but there is a device, the same device I was talking about that I have yes. uh, that is like the size of a USB thumbstick. Okay. That you can just plug in and it essentially acts as a disk system. Oh, so you can, because you and have that, you can plug that into this and on your NES, you can do disk yep. operations. Oh, sweet. Yep. And it's very, very simple, very simple and, and inexpensive. So, yeah, I don't think 250 fun. bucks is ridiculous for something as niche as this yeah i mean i'm not saying it's overpriced i'm just saying it might price a lot of people out of wanting it right you'd have to be a real big fan and not have a famicom to to do this right yeah (laughs) but fun that it exists it is check our show notes if you want to take a look at that Uh, and it's fun because you can also go on their site i won't read everything but there's uh you can buy all kinds of like new replacement Famicom parts and Super NES PCBs and things and Magus Master System. They have, they have some cool stuff. So take a look. So this is my serious journalism. <laughs> <laughs> this news item is my serious journalism. This, if you've ever wanted a hot dog controller, you can now have a hot dog controller. The funny thing about this, Cody, is that it... Um, the hot dog controller by Hyperkin looks like a hot dog, but it actually looks like a pretty decent controller too. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I've seen it right now for some reason. It's coming up really fuzzy. I don't know if that's on purpose or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. There should be another picture of it though. I, I, I have seen it though. Okay. I have seen it and I thought the same thing. I actually am like, I, I don't know why, but I kind of want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, when I, when I was pulling this up, um, now that picture is just a pixel picture picture of the thing, but down further you can see a picture of the actual thing. So it's like a little D pad. It's got two two um, 
analog controls at the bottom. It's got a D-pad. It's got two buttons. It's got um, four face buttons. But it looks like it's it's in conjunction with Oscar Mayer. And it okay. looks like a hot dog. Looks like a wiener. So <laughs> um, it it I got a good chuckle when I saw this. And it is a limit, limited edition one. But it looks like a, actually a solid controller. So I don't know. So- like... I showed it to my daughter, and she was really excited about it. She's like, I love it. I want it. Really? Yeah. She likes funny stuff like that. But uh, I kind of want it for the, the, the kitschiness of it. Yeah. And the fact that it's limited edition, even though I hate this kind of a thing, mm-hmm. I would love to buy it just because, A, I actually kind of like it. And yeah. there's a good chance that it just shoots up in value like crazy. Yeah. Hyperkin makes pretty decent controllers. This one's going to be 40 bucks. Um, supports USB-C and Bluetooth. So it charges with a USB-C port. Um, honestly, if it wasn't, if it didn't have the hot dog Oscar Mayer theme on it, it would look yeah. like it would be a nice controller. But I'm just, uh, that's what I'm they saying. Did they not make the same controller without that theme on it? I was assuming I it was just do. like I think a palette swap kind of a thing. Yep. Another thing is it's compatible with the Switch, uh, Windows, Chromebooks, Mac, Android, iOS, Steam Deck, Raspberry Pis, basically everything. Yeah. So, I don't know I, if these if these are up like up and for sale, and I come across it. I don't know. I, I might can see somebody taking a Raspberry Pi and shoving it into inside like a burger phone or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your exactly. whole system is like a hot dog and a burger. Exactly. It's a cool looking controller, though. I don't know. Take a look at it. it might not be your cup of tea out there, but take a look at it. I think yeah, it's pretty fun. Sure. This one's from Tim. Uh, yeah. It is from Time Extension. Insert coin clothing line has added new Sega items coming soon. This is a new thing we see regularly in our news now. Uh, licensed t-shirts for Crazy Taxi. Yeah. Monkey Ball. And one of their existing lines is a very cool long sleeve top from Gran Turismo for the high speed ring. So I'm opening it now so we can take a look. And there's a bunch of young, attractive... Uh, Japanese individuals looking off into the sunset wearing their super cool retro video game gear. Nice. The shirts look nice. I like the crazy taxi one. Yeah. Uh, well, the best part about that is the undershirt has this checkered pattern on it. So I don't know if that comes with it. That that yeah. really makes the shirt for me. Yeah. Um, super monkey ball is a, an orange shirt with an A on it. I think that one of the characters wore that shirt. Uh, cool. Yeah. There's some cool stuff in there. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. This stuff's always hard for me because my wife uh, would never let me be seen in public with her wearing any of these shirts. Oh, man. I'm not ragging on her. I'm just saying. I mean, kind of, you know, it's. Do you remember early on in the podcast, there was a time period where every time I came to your house to do the show or we did it, I had a different shirt on. Yep. Like I would, I would go out of my way to make sure I had a different like video game themed t-shirt, but it was like Eric was, thought he was dating me or something. It's like, I need to make sure <laughs> exactly. I have a uh, plan ahead what I'm going to wear that day. But eventually I ran out and I honestly don't have as many uh, video game shirts anymore. I love them. But you know, one thing, I, one what, what really grinds my gears is What's that, that Eric? a lot of times when you buy a video game themed shirt, especially on eBay, they're really low quality. Oh, yeah. They're so, cool. yeah, there's, there's kind of a thing on the Internet. A lot of people do it, right? You create a design and work with a third party printing company, then take that link, send it to another like Amazon. So when somebody Mm -hmm. buys a shirt, 
it sends the order to the printing company. They print your design on a shirt and mail it for you. Yeah. So you never touch anything. But yeah, I always end up getting like, oh, this is cool. And it's like, yeah, you don't get to choose your color. And I end up getting like a green logo on a green shirt. I'm like, right. what do I do with yeah. this? That's happened to me before. Or the logo isn't center on the shirt or yep. it's too high or too low. And I, I just, I, I got to a point where I loved getting new shirts and wearing them around and stuff, but I, I don't do it anymore. because I don't want to waste my money. But no, who honestly does have really cool looking retro shirts. Who? RetroRewind.com. They do. They have they're the good best shirts. Ones. They're and actually, my... they're solid, high quality shirts and you can't go wrong with black with their cool logo on it. I, I, sure. It's one of my favorite shirts to wear around. And I say this all the time on the show, but my wife allows me to wear that shirt. That's so, just saying, one of the only ones. Just yeah. saying. Right. <clears throat> um, this one is uh, European in nature, I see. Yes. And this is a, this is our my philosophical news item here. Ooh, yes. Coffee Several talk? European retailers are reportedly no longer stocking physical Xbox games. And that this dovetails into my segment, Eric's Take segment last time, which, by the way, we didn't do our uh, feedback section early on in this episode. So let's do it next episode. So all those people that gave me feedback for Eric's take last month, which I had more feedback on that episode than I've ever had on any episode. So I don't want to forget all those people. Um, so it's I funny you say that because that's what I tried to lead you into earlier when I said, Eric, you have feedback on Eric's take. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but uh, that's fine. I didn't know what the feedback, feedback was. So now I know well, we, we didn't get it. So we'll make well, sure let's to do, do it, it next month. Cause I do want to mention people, <laughs> yeah. um, and they had a lot of really great takes. Um, I won't read them all online, but I want to talk about, I want to at least give them credit for talking about it. And, and it generated a lot of buzz on the discord. And we had a lot of great discussions about it. And a lot of a lot people's of, takes were very, very interesting. And some things talk. I hadn't even thought about before either. So, um, but this dovetails nicely into that. Several European retailers no longer reporting reportedly are no longer stocking <laughs> physical Xbox games. Um, and to me, that is just a sign of the times. I think the next generation of video games, they're not going to have physical games, period. I just don't think so. Yeah. So what's funny is all these people like Limited Run, I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to, are they just going to have like a special case collector's edition with steel box so that you open it and there's a code inside? That already exists. Does it? Oh, yeah. Well, half the games you buy in, in, in in physical quote unquote nowadays, you open it up, it's just code in there. Oh man. So what's the point? I mean, they're, they're literally wasting just plastic so you can, and paper, I guess for grandmas and stuff who still will go to Walmart to borrow the video games for their kids. And yeah, that's the way to do it. I don't know. I don't know, Wow. but it makes sense to me that the Xbox games in particular, the ones they're no longer stocking. Uh, so they're still stocking PlayStation in theory is what, you know, it didn't yes. exclude that or or switch. And uh, I, I'll admit right now, unfortunately, I'm part of the problem because I own an Xbox, a modern Xbox. I did buy it like a sweet deal for, I think, 120 bucks when yeah, they were still crazy. hard to get from yeah. a neighbor down the street <clears throat> at a yard sale uh, because he wanted the Xbox X and I had and he had the S, right? Yeah. So the, the X came in. So he bought that. He had an S sitting around. So he sold it to me for pennies on the dollar. Uh, and I got an Xbox S 
only quickly to learn because I, I don't keep up on modern systems. It is uh, there's no disk drive in that thing. Right. The S is is uh, is digital only. Digital only. So that being said, the less expensive, and I'm going to guess probably more, if not equally, if not more prevalent version of the Xbox out there has no disk drive. Right. So if you're going to get rid of one, it's probably going to be the Xbox games because half of the systems don't use physical games. Yeah. So um, we'll talk about more about that on Coffee Talk, actually. Perfect. I just, I'm going to keep calling it Coffee Talk. When Tim joins us next episode, uh, I'll read. I'll read. I feel like reading this one because I darn well feel like it. Okay. Um, it is uh, an invitation, actually, from yeah. Mr. Josh Malone, one of our listeners, 48K Ram, who likes to chime in from time to time, but he is a big uh, proponent of this particular contest. Uh, is, is he? I know he, he's involved in it, but he doesn't run it or anything, right? I don't. He does not run it. As far as I know, I know, I think he's participated in it yes. before. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he says, pardon the spam, but it's live. Once again, it's time for that most ridiculous of game jams, the 10 line basic games contest. So there's a link to the rules and the contest there. But long story short is a whole lot of old computers simply use basic programming language. So you can shove as much code as you want into 10 lines, which is not a whole lot of lines. No. Uh, and it doesn't matter what system it is, as long as it's basic and 10 lines. More or less. There's more rules than that, I'm sure. But yeah, that's what links I know in the show it. notes, but go check it out. Um, there's always a lot of really cool entries in these things and pretty innovative stuff. So I, I, I wholeheartedly am, am behind that. I'm a proponent of it. You're a proponent? Yes. All right, I've been excited about talking about this one. Yes. Not sure if you saw this yet or not. You probably did. Um, Atari continues to release stuff that I more and more am excited about. So, still, still, uh, the history has been long and deep of Atari putting out a bunch of crap. Right. But the last few months, man, exciting stuff. Obviously, this is in large part due to the fact that they released the Atari 26. Excuse me. I'll just leave that in. People want to yeah. hear me sneeze. That's good. The Atari 2600 Plus, mm-hmm. which is a uh, a mini console. It looks just like the original Atari 2600 with four switches, not six. Um, and it actually works just like it. You physically put in cartridges, even your original ones, and they will work on this, which HDMI out. They also play 7800 Atari games as well. Yep. But they're creating all kinds of physical hardware for it. And because it is compatible with the original Atari, all the new hardware is compatible with the original Atari as well. So, Eric, I have been on the lookout for quite a long time for this CX-78 gamepad. Yep. Me too. So, this is the gamepad. If you have seen an Atari 7800, it's it's like a long, skinny thing you hold in your hand with a joystick on the top and a couple buttons on the side kind of unwieldy, hard to use, not not great. Uh, my guess is that Atari, I don't know the history on it, Atari saw the success of Nintendo and stuff with their their controller, their D-pad, and, and a couple buttons, and made their Atari-branded kind of version of that. And it's very funky. Uh, it's got two buttons, a button one, button two, red. It's a square device, or I'm sorry, rectangular control pad. But it's got this kind of semi-joystick thumbstick kind of a thing for, for where the D-pad would be. 
mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's a I'm sure it's the exact same molds as the original one was made out of. Uh, these things were going for like hundreds of dollars, and they were like broken. And I really wanted one to play Atari seventy eight hundred games with. Now I've already put my pre order in for a brand new one. Oh, you for did twenty four ninety nine. Yep, I already got my order in. I'm going to uh, get one. I, I, yeah. I have been looking forever for this gamepad as well. In fact, um, I don't have it in front of me, but this guy, the retro, it's called Retro Boys on eBay, and I bought yeah. a ton of controllers from him. Um, he has one. Now, this is my Amiga one, but he yeah. has one that is for the Atari 7800, which I bought, and that's what I use with my 7800 because the, you know, the, the, the control that comes with it is not good <laughs> to yeah. say the least. Yeah. Um, so I bought one of these that is an Atari 7801. I think it's in the box up there with it. Um, it, that, but, but if this had been available, I would have gotten this cause I did look for these and they're really expensive. Yeah. I've, I've been looking for a number of years. I don't know why I've never mentioned it really on the show. I think I might've, yeah. but uh, the other thing that they came out with, you can now pre-order. And the cool thing about it is they have the original part numbers and everything, but because it's newly made, even though they're made exactly like the originals, they just call it the same part number with the number plus or the number plus, the symbol plus, right? So that's a CX78 plus gamepad. Right. Uh, they also came out with the CX30 plus paddle controllers. And these are, are notorious. I mean, everyone's got these things. Um, they're the, the standard, uh, you know, racquetball paddle controllers, whatever for the original Atari. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, you know, uh, one plug into your system gives you two paddle controllers with buttons on both sides and a, a paddle wheel that you hold in your hand, but can spin back and forth for like breakout games like that. Uh, and they're always dirty and not working very well. You have to clean them all the time, but they're still old and janky. And like the, the paddle will shake on your screen because they're not, they're, they're just old. Yeah. Brand new ones. Twenty four ninety nine. Yeah. Awesome. This uh, Atari needs to be commended for this. I mean, this, At this is gonna, point we need to, yeah, we need to give them some kudos. Yep. Cause I mean the 2600 plus, you know, it uses the same technology as a mini system, but it's a, the biggest mini system you're going to get. I mean, it's not quite the full size of a real 2600, but it's, it, it's big. I mean, it's, 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 it's a good size that you could actually play real cartridges in it. And these peripherals, that just shows their dedication and that they kept the nine pin standard. These could have been made USB, you know, very easily. Oh yeah. And they're no. not. They're they're they fit into a nine pin system and I just think it's brilliant. It really is. And we're gonna buy a bunch of hardware because of it. Correct. And not to mention games. And games. That's right. We'll get to yeah. that shortly here. I mean, yeah. we've already talked about a few of them. Uh, previously in previous episodes but another thing they're offering is the db9 extension cable i don't believe this was ever an original part but basically it allows you to get you know an extra i don't know how long it is six ten feet from the tv uh extend any of your db9 extend things and then uh we've already talked about these i guess at this point but this goes in line with what we've already discussed here of course they've got new joysticks but all these new uh releases for old games uh including Atari 7800 games like Ninja Golf, Food Fight, and one that was never released, I believe, Fatal Run 7800, and at a reasonable $29.99, I really want Mr. Run and Jump for the 2600. I think that looks really cool. That is a new game, but made to look like one of the original Atari 2600 releases. Yeah. I, I remember I looked for uh, Ninja Golf once, because we, we did do a segment on Ninja Golf, and mm-hmm. I was looking for the original one, and it was very pricey online. 
Yeah. So to get it with the original box and the cartridge and it's all brand new and, and it works on any system, the 2600 plus or the original 2600, that's a no brainer. That's it's pretty awesome. Food fight's one of my favorite games. So it's not that long ago. They were releasing games like this, but charging like $150 for them. And I was complaining and saying it's a money grab and I hate it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I said, they need to place it put a reasonable price at like 40 bucks. Well, they went 10 bucks cheaper. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I, I just, I'm going to have a hard time not buying all these <laughs> Yeah, just to have them on the shelf looking pretty and fresh and new. Yeah. Agreed. Go Agreed. Atari. And then along came Atari. But what is uh what is in your pocket, Eric? <laughs> so the, this one is, uh, uh was on gamesradar.com. Pocket pair has a new co-op Metroidvania roguelike that rips off dead cells. Uh, way ha- way harder than Power World ever ripped off Pokemon. Did do you know the whole Power World thing? I don't. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you about this that. This is news uh, to me. And and and, St- and its Steam Next Fest demo is awesome. And the reason I brought this up was I did download this demo for. Uh, it doesn't even mention the game in in here. The game is called um, Never Grave. And I'm gonna I'll be covering it and catching up because I did download the demo and played it played quite a bit of it and I'll give you my review next episode. Okay. But um, it Pal World is a game that is an open world game that um, is kind of like Pokemon where there's these little creatures running around, but everyone calls it like Pokemon with guns because you can build and craft guns and get guns in the game and stuff. And they did, you know, this, it obviously is a ripoff of, of Pokemon, but the game really is more than that. I downloaded uh power world. It was on sale. So I went and grabbed it to see, cause I didn't want the FOMO, the fear of missing <laughs> out. So I went and grabbed it and I played it and it's, it's, um, it's okay. It's decent. It's an open world crafting game. You go around collecting resources um, you grab stuff and, and you can grab these Pokemon. Well, I don't want to call them Pokemon. They're <laughs> called pals and you can grab them and train them and they can work in your base. You build a base and you can blah, blah, blah. But this isn't even what this is about. This game is about, um, it's a, it is such a ripoff of dead cells. <laughs> is it really? But as I mentioned last month, dead cells is probably my game of the decade. I love Dead Cells. It's one of my favorite games. And I have news coming up about Dead Cells, so I'll wait and talk about that. Um, but this game is an homage to uh, to Dead Cells. You basically are a little witch, and you have a hat, and you can take the hat. One of the cool mechanics that differentiates itself from Dead Cells is you can take the hat and throw it to places you couldn't go, like if you can't jump that high, and then you can rematerialize underneath your hat. So it's got a really cool huh. um, mechanic there. Yeah, but it's a lot. It, 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 I mean, the funny thing is, is people were saying it completely rips off Dead Cells, but it is way. It is different it, enough. It differentiates itself enough to make it a new style game, and the graphics are completely different than Dead Cells. They're it, not as pixelated. They're more kind of anime cartoonish it reminds me a ton of hollow knight yeah exactly it's very god that's a good comparison it's got graphics a lot like hollow knight so i think it does a lot to differentiate itself from dead cells 
but I played it quite a bit and I really like it. So I think when it comes out, I'll diff- this is one I'll definitely be pi- be picking up. Nice. So that's called for people again, that's called Never Grave. The Witch and the Curse. The Witch and the Curse. So if you like Dead Cells, you probably like that one. Nice. Yeah. Uh this is a game I found uh I found out about coming out that does two of my two of my favorite things and mashes them together. Mm. Um game coming out from I'll click on it here. Uh, called Contra Operation uh, Galuga. Oh, yeah, I heard about or, this. Not Galaga, even though you could say it that way. Galuga. Right. Um, it's Contra. It's side-scrolling, awesome Contra, the kind of Contra I like. And it's, you know, run and gun, obviously, with a lot going on. Uh, fairly difficult, but fair gameplay. Uh, it's coming out, uh, you know, from Konami, who who owns the Contra license but as you saw right there it was developed by wayforward who i adore yeah uh, wayforward makes the shantae games and uh, has made a bunch of other uh, really cool games the Mun- mummy demastered which i loved so man if i could pick anybody to make a contra game they would probably be the ones and i'm looking at it here now what's cool about it uh, my understanding is they kind of take some of the classic contra uh, levels and there's plenty of the existing Contra level design and stuff still there, but then they make tweaks and twists uh, so that it's a whole new experience that's also nostalgic. And um, man, it looks good. <laughs> so yeah, that is all I'll say about it. And and again, WayForward's doing it, so I trust them to make a great game. Man, look at the graphics on that. It just looks so good. Look at this guy. <laughs> he's all 3d looking <laughs> yeah this massive insectoid alien creature so excited for that to come out uh these games typically come out at like 30 bucks i think when when wayforward comes out with an old license like this i'll wait for it to go on sale for 20 and then i'm picking it up nice so i'm a little cheaper I've, than I've, that i've always sucked at contra games i really like them but i've always sucked at them they're very hard <laughs> <laughs> This is a cool one. I did see this too, but yeah. And I, I got some questions about this cause I think I am losing my mind. Okay. Um, so here's the, here's what the news article is about. Exact perfect collection for the X 68,000, four of the best games. Now these are being re-released in one pack for the sharp X 68,000 Z mini console. Did I miss a mini console coming out? Did we cover this on the show? We did, I... we, we did cover it. It's Japanese only, and uh, the price tag is not so many. Oh, that's probably why. I, I quickly forgot it. I purged it from memory, probably because the cost was too high. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much exactly So these it, games but... look awesome. So there's like four games in this pack. Um, let me see if here. If they, didn't, they don't list them too conveniently in here. Yeah, they um, talk about games that are similar to, but they don't straight up. Here they are. Okay. Um, oh wait, I, let me go back here. So yeah. first up is a game called Nias. Okay. Apparently a horizontal shoot 'em up that would feel right at home on the Mega Drive. Okay. Then there is a uh, game called Aqualas Aqualas from 1991, which is a mech action platformer. Okay. It's kind of like Assault Suit Valken. Uh, a game called it. A Toil Princess 1993, which is a, sounds like it's kind of like an East game, 
So yeah. action RPG. And then you have the technical Marvel Geograph Seal, a full 3D polygon first-person shooter with Star Fox-like visuals. Nice. What well, I love I want... about... Go ahead. I was just going to say, what I love about it is apparently they picked four of the best games on the 68,000. It's only four games, but they're all specific to the system. Those I don't think you can get those games anywhere else. No, and that that you, they took a mini system and they're like, hey, here's a pack for that that you can mm-hmm. buy. You you legitimately own them. You're not pirating. You you legitimately can add this pack. I well, I don't know why they haven't done that before with with minis, right? They they don't do that with minis. They you get what you get, and then you can add ROMs you on know, your you, own with yeah. the USB port, but you can't. They don't sell official packs. With the exception of the arcade minis, like the I think the Egret and the yeah Sega arcade, those the, those had packs, and I think the Neo Geo one did too. Yeah, um, just little SD cards you could pop in there. Well, now now I want to go look on on eBay Japan and look and see if these mini consoles have started filtering through the to the used market yet. Yeah, I I, I doubt they're going to go down. No, you're probably right. Probably go to Amazon.jp, see if Amazon still got any left. Games look good, though. Cool. So. I know Tim's played on a real one. Yeah, he has a real one, yeah. All right, this is kind of cool, another time extension article. And basically, I don't typically talk about a lot of news about people who make one-off devices and things like that. They're cool, but there's so many of them, you can't talk about them all. Right. However, what's cool about this one is... Uh, you know the Sega Neptune? You're familiar with that concept? I am, yep. So essentially, you know, we had the, the Sega Genesis, and then they had the CD add-on, and then they had the CD32, I'm sorry, the Sega 32X. Yep. Um, sh- that you'd shove in the top. And the Neptune essentially was a Sega Genesis with the 32X already connected into it, but shoved into kind of one board, right? It's a, It's a a concept Sega talked about releasing, but never actually released it. Uh, so the retro tech modder Cosm uh, not only created one of these systems, but has gone further in actually creating a completely new custom Neptune motherboard. So this is a brand new board that's already a Genesis and a 32X with DB9s in the front and a cartridge adapter. And uh, it, it exists and it can be reproduced at, in theory now. Uh, meaning that I think they're they're trying to see if this is going to be something they can commercial make commercially viable. All you'd really need to do is add a shell to it, and of course you could use your existing Sega Genesis power supply. It's the same same system, uh, so that could be something that hits the market. And if that were to hit the market, Eric, would you be interested in buying your own Neptune? If the price is right, why not? I mean, to combine the thirty two X and the regular, um. Genesis would be pretty amazing. I mean, it, the only thing is if this could incorporate like the CD and have it all in some slick <laughs> device, well, that would be pretty amazing. It's funny you say that. I, that would be cool if it added that as well. I, I agree. But what I'm looking at in this picture here yeah. is there actually is uh, the edge connector and an opening in, in the shell to add the CD attachment. So you, it wouldn't, you'd still have to buy an, an old Sega CD. Correct. You would still have to have that, but it looks yeah. like that would be compatible with it as well. 
And those are harder to find, very expensive and failing left and right. So that that would yeah. be tough. Yep. I actually was at a game store the other day. Yeah. And I, I knew not to ask, but I asked anyways. They had a, I'm like, do you have a, if by chance have a Sega CD in the back somewhere? And they're like, oh, we actually do. It's boxed and it's a Sega CD one, not the two that you want. And I'm like, all right, how much? 500 how bucks. Much? 500 bucks? I'm like, nope. No, that's too much. No. <laughs> I saw, I, I, I sent you a thing of a whole tower of power, like the 32. Yeah. Remember I sent you that from Legacy or buddies here locally, Legacy Toys yep. and Games. Um, they had, and it was really dirty and I, I don't know how well they tested it cause they don't have the cables. Yeah. Um, but just looking at it, I was like, I would love to have the tower of power of everything. And I, I, I have, I, I have a 32 X. I have a Genesis. I have yeah. the, the, the CD, the third party one CD one. So I have it all, but to yeah. have it all being official Sega stuff would be pretty slick. Yeah, no, you've got a cool setup there. You've got that JVX. Yeah, JVC. JVC, JVC there you uh, go. Wonder Mega. It's a Mega Wonder. Mega Wonder, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's another so one that you put Amiga, in here. The, the reason I put this in here was uh, I always find it kind of interesting when uh, I find things that are cross-platform. This is a game called Tony, an enjoyable Amiga and C64 platformer is now available as an Atari XLXE demo. So it's not quite all the way done as a, as a game yet, but it, it's a work in progress. I have, you haven't played this, have you? I have not. No. Tony Montezuma's goal. I haven't either. I, I watched the video here and it looks like a solid platformer that was for the Amiga C64. So it'll be coming out on the Atari XL XE uh, sometime here in the future. It's kind of a monochrome game, which I always find pretty cool. Um, I, I think this looks like really like a great game. I mean, take a look yep. at the graphics. Yeah, I mean, when they do two colors, you get to use like a lot of the system's high-res modes, right? Yep. And, and it's really smooth and detailed, and it doesn't bother me that it's black and white. No, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I, mean, I think it looks really good, and it coincides with uh are, are you going to be picking up that atari 400 mini that's going to come out I, I mean i would absolutely want that thing i don't know too many details about it yet but uh right but yeah for sure yeah because because you could load this bad boy up on a rom and play it on that so there you go love it cool all right scrolling down here Trying to remember what I even talked about. According to timeextension.com, RetroBit bringing SNES cult classic Maijuyo, King of Demons, to the West for the first time. Uh, so just wanted to mention that uh, this is more just of a, a topic really than a news article. We keep getting more and more of these Japanese exclusive games not only being um, translated to English, but also being released over here. And I just think that that's the coolest stuff. And a lot of these Japanese games are really unique. Uh, this game, I was watching some gameplay. It is kind of a run-and-gun style game. Uh, looks like a great uh, a great game that we just never would have known about over here. Um, and now we can buy a physical cartridge of it that's obviously not original. Uh, but who cares? It looks, it looks fun. Yeah. King of Demons. The graphics look pretty... Uh, I mean, and this fits right in very... I don't know. I mean, it almost looks kind of Contra-esque to me. 
the graphics do, but yeah, the the gameplay, the way he moves, is much more. Um, I'm gonna say Amiga E <laughs> stunted. <Nope>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it looks like uh, Contra meets Castlevania, kind of. Yeah, never played it, but here it we looks go. Good, They're very colorful. So, right. hey, hey to-, to speaking about Atari, um, so Atari is coming out with the. You, you remember they released a thing called the Game Station, which I, I think looks really cool. Uh, I didn't pull the trigger on it because it really is just an emulation system that's set up. Um, it, it, I, I, I don't know. Someday when the, if the price comes down on it, I might grab one. But this is the Atari Game Station Portable. And if you look at a picture of this thing, Cody, one thing I, that is really awesome about this is that it's going to play Atari games like in a menu system. So there'll be like 200 games on it or something, but it has a thumbstick. It yep. has a trackball. I see that. It, yep. And it has a paddle controller on it. Yeah, you almost want to call it a spinner, but I'm sure it's more of a paddle. Yeah. Yeah. So this, all these like things that we constantly talk about, like, oh, I wish this thing had a trackball. I wish this thing had, had, had a paddle thing. This thing is a portable system that has all of that in it. And it has a full keypad, one, one through nine, zero and asterisk and number sign. Exactly. And so <laughs> it can it can play games that required the numpad for the Atari 2600. I have one of those and it's pretty wild because there were games like Star Raiders that required that. Yeah. Um, so it has the, the numpad built into it. And another thing I thought about since this was an emulation station, if they could just if they had Atari 5200 games on, I wonder if it could take advantage of that numpad because the Atari 5200 had that. Right. Too. I'm sure so, that's a software upgrade away. Yep. So I don't know, man, this thing looks pretty cool. Cause I was looking at the game station cause the price right now you can get refurbished game stations on eBay, eBay for like 49 bucks. So <laughs> you plug it in. And the cool thing is, you know, you can get the track pads and the paddle controllers for that thing um, and play the games, but it's just emulation. You can't use real cartridges, et cetera, et cetera. But if you could do all that in a handheld console and the price was right, and it has all those controller modes, that would be pretty sweet. Yeah, that is is a pretty cool idea. I had not seen this yet. Anyway, that's, that was my whole reason for popping it in. And I'm not saying I'm going to get it, but I I like their thought there. This is by basic, by the way, this is by my arcade. It's not by Atari. It's licensed to my arcade, but this is going after that, uh, blister pack on the, you know, the end of the shelf at a Walmart kind of demographic. And if I saw this thing out there, you know, maybe they'll release it new for 69 99, I yeah. probably would not pick it up, but when it inevitably goes on sale and they start blowing them out for 25 bucks, sold. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the color scheme too. It's very it's, like... It's cool, retro. Yeah, very 70s, 80s, early 80s kind of deal. So Reminds me of those, um, or those uh, paper folders that you'd put in your binder back in the day that had the sports on them, like the brown, orange, and yellow. You know what I'm talking the peachy, about? The peachy folders. Is that what they were called? Peachy I think folders? that's what it was called, peachy. That sounds familiar. I think so. Cool. Uh, this is interesting. So I didn't know about this. I just thought it was funny that 
you know, everybody has their thing and somebody found this and, and made it a thing. So have you heard of the Sega AI? I, I heard about it on a podcast recently, but they didn't go into what it was exactly. So I'm, I'm curious. What is it? So apparently it's one of the company, meaning Sega, uh, one of their rarest systems. Uh, and here's a picture of it. Some sort of a computer desktop scratch pad computer keyboard thing. Yeah. I really don't know much about it. Apparently it was released in 1986. Um, was it released? Yeah, 1986. It says wow. it was released. Okay. Um, but yeah, and and just I, I don't know the whole story on it, but you know, almost no uh, distribution at all. Very few exist. But somebody just uh, made an emulator for it, complete with ROM dumps, scans, and much more. And what's cool about it is there's actually a number of games specific to the system you'd find nowhere else. Uh, it's all it was Japan. Uh, I believe it was Japan only. Uh, so they are Japanese, but um, but if you wanted to try that system and get it and, and and take a look into what it was, now you can actually play the games. Pretty cool. Wow. That is cool. I, I yeah. never heard of it before in my life. No, I hadn't heard it until I saw this article. So Sega AI AI. Oh. All right, we've got a handful more uh, items here. Yeah, so I've got a big row of these, so I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Sure. NES modders fix the sin committed by Nintendo 39 years ago. This is on time extension. Uh, this, These modders have created a, a new... Um, how many pins is that? Uh, the Zip 72 pin? 72 pin connector that is inside the NES. Those things always get worn out to where they from putting cartridges in because you have to put the cartridge in and then push down on it. And that closes the kind of the pins on it. And the problem is those pins get bent away or they get dirty or whatever. And they, you know, that that's where the original infamous blowing on the cartridge kind of, kind of thing comes from because they don't quite work and you pull them out. Um, so what this person has done is created a new 72 pin connector that doesn't require you to push down. It basically just, you slide it in and the teeth grab it and you're good to go. And then when you pull it out, you just pull it out and you don't have to push up or down on it. So supposedly this is going to have better connectivity for your cartridges and you can modify your original Nintendo for that. And I just took a quick read further down because this existed before. It was called the Blinking Light Win. I remember when that came out probably 10 years ago. Okay. Uh Exact same concept, but down below here they say this. It, they actually address it. They said uh, the blinking light. I like what they said. They said the drawer can do what the wind can't, <laughs> <laughs> which is extend. So apparently the blinking light wind, which is called it's a lame name, but it's basically called that because when you put in the cartridge, you won't get the blinking light, right? Yeah. Um, but but the main thing it, it it does is it allows you to uh, keep the cartridge out far enough so it's easy for you to get it back out. The blinking light wind apparently once it's in there, it's hard. It's difficult to get it out. Um, but cool. Move right on down to the next topic here, which yep. the segue this time will be, uh, Eric, what are you on the verge of telling us? <laughs> the Nintendo Switch is on the verge of making console history. Uh, the Nintendo has sold, Switch has sold 139.36 million units. That's a lot. Um, and what, what are the, do you know what the two above that are, Cody? Console-wise? It's in the article. Huh? I didn't read down, so... Oh, and I just saw one now. 
Okay, you can go ahead and say it. I think I w- eventually would have got to the PlayStation 2. I know that was huge. Yes, and I, I, I would have guessed the PlayStation 2 as number one, which maybe I, it is. I don't remember. And I have no um, idea what the other one was. The other one, I think, if I read the article right, was the Nintendo <laughs> DS. That, that um, would be sold correct. I remember that now. 4 million units. So, yeah. um, but Nintendo, the Switch is on its way because with the OLED and the other Switch, and, and from what I understand, Switch consoles are still selling like hotcakes. So, I mean... Well, that's funny. Nintendo always gets these high... I I still feel like the PlayStation Plus, or the PlayStation 2, Mm -hmm. in my book, might be the best or highest selling because Nintendo always does these iterations, right? You got the first Switch and the OLED Switch, and then you got the Switch Lite, and those are all adding in, right? Same with the DS. There's like four versions of the DS. So they kind of kept it fresh by doing that, but... Yeah, and it's all covered under the same umbrella. Yeah. Um, Whereas the PS2 only... I don't know. They had two. They had the fat and the thin one, right? Yeah, which didn't change anything except for the size, really. Exactly. Yep. Um, but yeah. Anyways, cool. So yeah, so Nintendo's on its way to break some more records there. Um, CRKD's follow-up to the Nitro deck is the NES-style Neo S controllers. I wanted to ask you about this. The whole reason I threw them in there is they are trying to tap into um, collectible controllers okay so basically these retail for 50 bucks a piece now they do have hall effect thumbsticks so i mean they'll never have the drift problem um swappable stick tops so you can change the stick top if you wear it down or want a different color or whatever um so they're trying to tap into a collectibles market for these Controllers, the CRKD Neo S controllers. Is that something that at all interests you? Collectible controllers, not necessarily, but I will give them credit because when I see some of those, I want them. Uh-huh. Yeah, like the old school uh, NES one that's gold and red. Yeah, the Famicom kind of one. I just It's got a D-pad in the right spot. It's small and square like my Nintendo controller I grew up loving. Yeah, I wouldn't mind trying one of these. Um, so maybe do, not collect them, but just buy one. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it says that they're they have a fifty dollar retail price, which for me is uh, a little more expensive than collectible. Yes. If if these were like twenty bucks a pop, I could see myself like grabbing a bunch of them. I I could see my yeah. collector mentality going into it. You know. And they do look nice. I mean, I think they they look they look pretty good and usable. Very usable. I, they also have they like screen printed and they have different colors and stuff on them. But I do think that if they got the design just right and made them really unique, I probably I potentially would look at collecting them. I'd love to see like a wood grain, like an old school uh, you know Atari ish looking wood grain version of one, like wood and gold. Yeah, maybe like a steel version or something like that with aluminum faceplate or something like that. Uh, but right now, there's kind of a lot of just this one is transparent red. Uh, and then the rest of them are just kind of like screen printed graffiti splatters, yeah. uh, which don't really do it for me. So maybe, maybe I could see it. I mean, that one, that Famicom one, I want that. Yeah. There's it, a Famicom one. And then one above it has the button layout kind of like the, um, Super Nintendo. Or is yeah, it oh Super yeah. Nintendo? Yeah. With the, uh, the, the yeah. four different colors and the, yeah, the yeah. layout though, the buttons themselves are the same on all of them. It looks like it's just the. Yeah. It's the just the, their skins, I guess. Like they're skinned, or they have tran- like transparent cases, and I don't. Know. I just yeah. thought it was pretty, pretty cool. 
No, it's it's interesting. I I I'm always I can always use more controllers. So cool. Yep. This next one is more personal for me. Um, after over five years of support, the developers of Dead Cells are finally moving on. So they've announced they're not doing any more development. And Aww, I think they're coming Eric. out with one more patch. What'd you say? I said, oh, Eric. Yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing is that I'm just now getting into all their add-on DLC. Yeah. I mean, after playing the original game for so long, they have Castlevania DLC. They have, um, they ha- I, there's just a ton of DLC for it. And all of it so far that I've played is awesome. It's all good uh, stuff. So I've got plenty to play, so I'm not really mourning this too much. But I read this, and then I was like, okay, yeah, companies eventually have to move on. They want to make new products, right? Yeah. I was reading online of people just like, what do you mean? What do you – I mean, I don't know how long they expect people to actually support games. Well, it depends what they mean by support as far yeah. as like keep it selling it and keep letting people download it and stuff like that. I consider that supporting the game. But if you're saying constantly oh, they're gonna let updating people download stuff. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're going to let them. They're just not coming out with any more patches or updates or DLC. See, and to me, it's funny because my and maybe for you, it's the same. But my mind goes to like, no, I want you to make a product. I want to buy the completed product. And then I want you to go make different products. Yeah, like, that's how I grew up. That's how I know. So I almost don't want them to keep coming out with DLC and other stuff. I want them to go make another game. And that's what they that's what they're doing. And they they said that they said, hey, we're moving on to other franchises. And then there was some like some people just kind of lost their minds. Like they were like, what do you mean? Um, <laughs> uh, like, I, I just don't get it. I, I think people nowadays feel entitled that people are just going to support these games for 30 years or something. And it's just not. It's not sustainable. They're just not going to do it. So anyway, it doesn't bother me. Interesting. That's, Interesting. I love Dead Cells. I'm going to keep playing it. Uh, I'm more excited it, to see what their next title will be. Right, exactly. Then this last one I brought in here from Time Extension. The Finally, we, got, we get a list of the Atari 400 mini games that are going to be on it. See, it's funny so I didn't say, know if you had seen it's these. It's funny you said finally. And no, I have not seen these yet. So this will be news, new, new to me. And I'm excited to see it. But okay. I only just learned about the 400 Mini, I think, a month ago. <laughs> right. Well, so, you know how they do. They're like, they'll announce it. And then like later, they announce the games that are going to be on it. Kind of like a cliffhanger. Like, well, okay, we're going to list the games. Um, and, and the more that, that like uh, Retro Limited, whenever they... It, it means less to me because you can add whatever games you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in yeah. a weird way. It's like, okay, that's great that these are going to be on there, but I'm going to add my own anyway. So it doesn't really matter, but I guess there's a lot of people out there that just won't, they're just going to play the ones that are built into it. And so it does become, um, yeah, I typically don't add games to mine. Uh, if it's a hack or anything like that, I want the original thing up, but I know a lot of these, like the Amiga and the C64, they have their basic graphic interface with built-in games. And then when you plug in a thumbstick, it just kind of pops up. You can open the thumbstick and then go dig into other stuff there. I like that because it's still its own contained ecosystem. Yep. And that's what this one's going to do. Yeah. And and so I I do love that. So I'll list these real quick and stop me if you want to talk about any of these. Basketball, Asteroids, Wait, stop. Basketball? Really? (laughs) Exactly. What a great game. Exactly. It's okay. Missile Command, Miner, <laughs> 2049er. That's pretty cool. Berserk, yes. Bristles, Capture the Flag, Encounter, Flip and Flap, Mule. And I'll tell you why Mule's important. I want to play that online with you, bruh. Exactly. Mule is awesome, and this thing is going to have 
ports for four joysticks. So you can play a four-player game in your house for Mule. Mule is one of the closest things you're going to get to a board game on on a thing. Oh, I loved Mule. I loved playing it so much back in the day. I had Mule on the Commodore 64, and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yep. I want you to teach Uh, me, Eric. Teach me the ways. Yep. The, 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 the auction system in there is like no other game you've played. And it's so much fun, especially when it's multiplayer, yeah. like trying to outbid each other. And it's like, oh man, it is. It's awesome. <laughs> O'Reilly's mind, wavy Navy, hover, bobber, hover, hover, bobber, Lee millipede, the seven cities of gold. That's I played that on the Commodore 64. That's a great game. Boulder dash, electric glide, battle zone, Henry's house, star Raiders two, Airball, Crystal Castles, and Yump. Yump. Yump is a newer game, which is great. Yeah, I like, I, I like when they throw a new game on there. So Yump came out in 2007. So there's one I want to point out. Yeah. There's another game here that never came out, at least not with this title. Do you know which one it is? Never came out. No, I don't know. Lee. What is, what is Lee? <laughs> I don't even know that. I'll, I'll give you a hint. There's a certain martial artist that has oh. his name has his name copyrighted. <laughs> So I have, a, I have uh, a feeling they had to change the name of that title from Bruce Lee to uh, Lee. I see. Oh, that's I'm, hilarious. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Bruce Lee. Okay. I thought it was just like maybe, remember, the, what is it, like the Levi's that came out? They're called Lee. Lee <laughs> Levi's. Maybe it was like. That's right. Brand I brand. never put that together, Eric, that that was Levi's. I remember uh, Lee Jeans. I remember that, but I never connected that to Levi Strauss. Oh, it isn't. It isn't. Lee was oh, its okay. own company. Lee oh, was okay. its own company. I just meant, I meant to say jeans, but um, I, I didn't know that that was a Bruce Lee game. That's funny. <laughs> so I just clicked on another link here because I saw it, and it's where can yeah. you pre-order the Atari 400 Mini because I don't really know. So, uh, oh, yep, sure enough, Amazon. So, done. Amazon, yay. <laughs> they and Atari. Have, and from Atari themselves. Atari. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I do. I do wish they would find other sources besides Amazon to to release this stuff. But yeah, let's see. The rest of the world has Belgium has Galaxis. I want to order it from Galaxis. It just sounds cool. It Greece, does sound cool. Greece has the Console Club. Yeah, hmm. cool. Speaking of uh... <laughs> of something, <laughs> of something. So it's funny that you and I both did put this on the list, but I put it on yes, first, so I get to talk about it. I was ex- I was hoping you wouldn't know about it yet because you yeah. you and I have said this for a while. We're like, if this ever became just like available where they had stock, I'd probably just buy it. Yeah. Well, it has Eric. The Playdate released an up or a, a news whatever bulletin. It actually came into my email because I'm part, here. I got an email. Yep. That's right. You were on it too, and it says. Hey, we caught up with pre-orders, meaning we have stock right now. If you want to send us $199, we will send you, in turn, a playdate now. Um, yeah, the, the website said two to three days shipping, uh, or it, they will ship it to you within yeah. two or three days, um, and that you will get it whenever. I don't know what, what country this ships from, um, so I don't know how long it would take, but I'm pretty impressed. I mean... I I don't know. I'm not going to say impressed. It took them a long time to fulfill their Kickstarter orders um, or pre-orders or whatever, however they did. I don't know if they were Kickstarting, Um, but they said they sold 70,000 of the gadgets um, and it took them a long time. I mean, we've been talking about the play date forever. 
No, you say that, but I'm a, I'm just doing some math in my head, right? I don't I think you know, it was a couple of like college graduates that put this company together and came up with this concept. And you think about it, it wasn't that year, you know, it came out two years ago. So in two years they shipped seventy thousand and okay. last April they were at fifty thousand, which means just since April they had to ship twenty thousand. How many is that a day? Yeah. I mean, I think they actually did a pretty good job going from never producing a product to ramping up a production to to produce that many units while having an online marketplace with games that apparently are quite good and people are enjoying and paying money for and everything is working. There we um, go again. Positivity, Cody. Positivity, Cody. You know, I'm, not always, I'm not always that person. That's, that's usually your job, but... <laughs> I did look um, into it to, to see where things are at with this right now. And so, yeah. uh, you know, when it first came out, it came with the seasonal model. I don't think they're doing that anymore because the idea was the first season of games for 24 games, you'd get like two a week. Yeah. And it'd be cool because everyone was kind of getting new games at the same time. I think you still get those 24 games, but now you just get all of those, those first 24 games right when you, right when you buy it. And then, uh, it says there are more than 120 titles available in its curated catalog store, which you can just buy on kind of like their eShop as well. Yeah. Um, oh, and also apparently over 800 available through itch.io that you can, I guess, the, sideload or whatever. Sideload somehow. Yeah, I, I don't know that. One thing I did learn about these the new news about this was I forgot. I think I knew this, but I forgot that this was designed the case and stuff was designed by teenage engineering which um that's right make, that's right they huh? make the pocket operators they make the opz which i have yeah um yep. they're one of my favorite uh synth synth makers so it's pretty cool that they designed the case for this and uh the the the, the physical part i think is what they did um pretty neat ah <sighs> 199 Eric I'm still on the fence but man I, I if so, I had 200 bucks sitting here in front of me right now I would order it right now yeah and, and you should because they did mention in that email that limited time they said they think they will sell out again very quickly and then it'll be on a pre-order basis again yeah so well let me ask you this Cody what would happen if you had a friend that ordered this already I'd be angry at him for not allowing, not asking me if I wanted to throw my my order in with it, <laughs> and then I'd just own him. And if we had to by chance a podcast, I would end it immediately. Why, Eric? Oh. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna entice you by did saying, did you get one coming? I, I did. I ordered one. Yep. And the shipping was pretty cool. inexpensive, so I mean, it wasn't that. I got it with the case because the case there's like a magnetic case and. You get some money off of that if you order it together in a combo. So I got the little case for it too, and um, yeah, I did. Like twenty bucks more or something for the case. Yeah, I, I pulled the trigger on it. So I don't <sighs> know when it's going to happen. I still didn't because I ordered it a couple of days ago, and I haven't received any updates. So I don't know if it's actually going to oh man be here anytime soon. But I did pull the trigger on it, and uh, I'm hoping that I'll be talking about that. On- Might need to to eBay a few things. <laughs> free not, up some cash not the stuff i love i have lots of stuff here that the whole point i have it is to eventually get it on ebay and make some money on it but yeah i need to do that yeah i have a number of things i'm 
I'm kind of going off topic here, but I, I would love to get the play date. Um, there is a new game I talked about recently, that Verizon game I want to get for my Vectrix. Oh, yeah. Um, there was, uh, what was, there was another device too that I was like, oh man, I want that. Well, of course I want a Steam Deck, but that's a whole other level of cost. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, there's, I, there's I, some stuff again that I'm, that I, that I'm wanting. I, and I, I have to stop because I got the light gun. I got the yeah. play date. Those are two very expensive things. And so I'm, I'm probably not going to be buying anything new until the summer. Eric, Something. Eric blew his stack of cash. <laughs> I did. It's all gone. <laughs> uh, very last item here for our news this month. This one caught me by surprise. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this. First uh, time the, seeing the, it right now. This is from Tom's Guide Online, but it says, Watch out, Switch 2. Sony could finally be making a new PlayStation handheld. So when I'm reading through this, um, they mentioned in here, it will not be a streaming device because, you know, Xbox and PlayStation, they have these little devices that you can either connect your phone to or something and you can stream games from your console to your phone or handheld or tablet okay. or whatever so that you kind of have a handheld, but it's not really. According to this um, and what these people have found is that this is going to be an actual console standalone you you can load it with games you don't have to be connected to the network or whatever love that it's going to play games like a switch does or whatever so take it with a grain of salt um reports point to the company getting back into the handheld space for the first time since 2012 um they they just talk of you know the way they do this is they look at you know parts that sony's buying etc cetera, etc cetera. um i don't know Looks like it could be happening. Seven inch OLED screen is what it's saying. Bigger the better. Uh, Absolutely. I definitely find myself struggling to get lost in games on tiny screens now. Yeah. And that's one thing. And I don't even have the newest Steam Deck, but the reason I absolutely love my Steam Deck is it has a big screen. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Even compared uh, to your Switch, huh? Way. Yeah. It's, it's brighter and bigger than the, my Switch screen so i love it absolutely love it i get it i get it and and frankly if they came out with another steam deck down the road that had a bigger screen i'd probably get it because eric's just wants to go buy a full-on 13 inch flat screen tv with controllers on the side exactly exactly (laughs) uh eric that is the news and uh i am fresh out of this beer Yes, so am I. I have uh, been for a while now. So I guess I guess this next beer, I don't think I've had it on the show technically. So I, I can say that uh, I've got two for the show to to drink and to rate. Okay, good, good, good. If good. you will. Yeah. You grab it here off Mike. He is grabbing stuff out of a cooler, I'm going to say. It is out of a cooler. It is not out of my backside. <laughs> um, Eric... Go ahead and let me know what you're drinking. A really quick, I have to go off mic here, off mic here, and, and light a delicious, beautiful Japanese incense. Excellent. I will do that. I will talk about my beer here. My beer um, is one I know I've never had, but I think it has a very interesting um, label on it. It is called Legendary Gillies American Lager. It has a very American style can. 
Um, it says serve ice cold, which I am doing. Um, I'm kind of having a hard time finding like the name of the Gillies. brand. Have you seen this before? You know what? Now that you show me the can, I have seen that, but uh, I've never had one. I've never had one, and I'm I'm like having a hard time. Like, is it? Um, it, it basically looks like something that would be almost like a Miller's or something. I mean, it's very American, simple. Yeah. So um, it, Gilly's legendary American lager. Okay. Um, a crisp, light, easy drinking American lager. So I, it's funny. That's funny that you picked that. I okay. think you and I are doing something very similar to right now with the, with our beer. Oh, awesome. So what do you I, got going on? I, so I am also doing a very um, kind of a, a American everyday drinking beer that is named after itself. And there is no, no other beers except for the one beer that they make, which I believe okay. Gillies is. Yeah. And that is a Montucky cold snack. I, yeah, I had one of these. It's uh, it's a. I had one. I had one of these. Like I remember, I had it on. I had it on the show. Yeah, it's a, it says right here the official unofficial beer Montana, and we've gotten these a number of times in the past. Um, yeah. it is a Montana beer. Uh, that, but they call it the Montucky Cold Snack. I actually, see these trucks driving around. It's getting pretty popular, but yes. they even admit their whole thing. They're like, we make okay beer. We put it in a yeah. fun can. We kind of create this vibe. And yeah, it's, it's like a seventies kind of cool yeah, vibe to it. Yeah, like back then there was all kinds of kind of beers like this, right? Kind of like I'm sure that Gillies is probably similar. This one, yep. it'd be like a Pabst Blue Ribbon or whatever. It's like, oh, what kind of beers do you make? We make Pabst. That's what we make. We we make this one beer. Yeah, exactly. And we, make, and we make a lot of it and we ship it all over and that's our vibe, as my yep. daughter would say. So, Eric, to our not quite near beers, yeah, I, I say cheers. Cheers. So what is the name of that one again? I forgot. Montucky Cold Snack. Montucky. I'm going to write that down. Cold and it does have snack. a cool cool can. It's like this uh, blue and light blue striped can with these kind of, um, uh, it's very stylized, kind of hard sh- outline shapes with a horse on the front. And the yep. horse is branded with an MT for Montucky. And, yep. um, and these kind of bright orange, yellow, orange, and red mountains in the background. And the cool thing is that one is cheap. Yeah, six pack of these, and these are tall boys are seven ninety nine. Yeah, so I mean that that and this Gillies was pretty cheap too. Although I I bought it as a single can, and but the single can was only a buck fifty, a buck yeah. fifty. I think he probably I think he six pack for six bucks probably. Yeah. So. We're so this same, I, we're doing the same thing. Yeah, so I bet if you poured it out, it'd probably look exactly like this. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from the same place. Who knows? Yeah, um, mine actually, surprisingly, maybe I shouldn't say surprisingly, has a decent amount of flavor. Um, for would, a lager, it, it's got a refreshing, crisp flavor to it. Yeah, I would say it's um, more like, so like a, one of my favorite lagers that's kind of like, a standard American kind of light lager, but with flavor is like the, what is it? Golden trout. Yeah. Golden trout's a decent one. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of like halfway between that and a Bud Light. It's, it's got more than a, a Budweiser more yeah. going on there, more, more punch to it, more flavor to it, but it's still a, uh, it's made to be easy drinking more than it is made to be a good beer. If that makes sense. Yeah. 
I'm going to give, I'm ready to rate mine. I'm going to give mine a respectable for this type of beer, a 20 out of 29. That's exactly what I was thinking. 20. Okay. Well, there we go. We're in unison there. So a 20, 20, 20, 20. Good. That's going to throw us at the, that's a 60. I'm going to round that up to 69%. 69%. Not bad. Not bad for that. Nice. Well, while we sip on these bad boys, it's time for us to get into the main event, Eric. It's our battle of the systems. Oops, I missed my button. Let me try that again. You know, let me try to turn it up. Let's try that. There we go. There we go. Battle of the Systems. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> our battle, as we mentioned earlier, I picked these out uh, yes, as, I, as I often do uh, because I wanted to play certain things. Um, haven't gotten my ColecoVision out in a while or my Intellivision. And Eric, uh, you and I have both recently picked up the Backbit cartridge. Yes, we have. Which we talked about over the last few episodes. Uh, And that allows us, with a couple of really cool adapters, to finally, for the first time since I've been in this hobby, be able to play um, ROMs on my original hardware for those systems and many others. Oh, man, you have a nice red case for yours. Mine is black. I don't think I got a choice. Man, I'll switch you. I actually kind of like the black. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, mine, mine's red. Cool. And I will say, I, so I did uh, real quick to touch on this. I did um, using it with the, with my systems and a number of other systems. Now I can confirm that all my DIY solder adapters that I put together for yes. nine bucks a piece, they've all worked flawlessly so far. Good job. So my job. my soldering is de- decent, but it is not a hard solder job. It is was a lot of fun. I just love soldering. Yeah. Uh, more on that um, very soon. Good. Uh, but the, the cartridge works excellent. It just works. It just works. For most games, it just works. And that's what I love about it. And it, and I it, like the interface isn't complex or fancy or pretty, but man, it just works. Yep. It just works. I love it. Yeah. It, it, and it works in a way that if I really wanted to get the original game, I would still go out and buy it. Yes. But if I want to kind of fiddle with this to get it in the cartridge, plug it in, turn it on, see a list of games, pick one, try it, it does that. Yeah. And that's what I want it for. So it's, it's So cool. I do have a question for you. Why did you battle pick this these games to battle against? I mean, I know you wanted to play these games, but what why these two? So here's my logic. Okay. First of all, I wanted to play these two systems because I feel like they are, they're perfectly matched. They're actually very similar, even though they went up against the Atari 2600. I feel like that's a completely different type of system, different feel. I agree. Um, these are both systems with crappy controllers <laughs> and big number pads. And so the, a lot of the games lend themselves to these much more complex type experiences, be that good or bad. Um, I've always wanted to try Bomb Squad. I never tried it on the Intellivision. I thought it was cool, unique, and interesting, and it was a, uh, a console exclusive. Yeah, it was. Yep. And I wanted to do the same thing with the ColecoVision. I'm like, what is a console exclusive on the ColecoVision? 
that's kind yep. of looks strategic in nature, a little deeper than most games. And that's why I com- combined the two. Now, my, my second question, do you, you don't own the physical of either of these games? I actually own, uh, I do own Bomb Squad. Okay. Okay. Did you use the template? In, I don't uh, have a box copy. I only have a cartridge. Okay. Good. 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 Because so I I do not have either of these games, and we could have really used it. So <laughs> as we'll get into in these games, but um, I mean, I I I just went online and found pictures of them and yeah. used that. But we'll, we'll we'll get into that. I just I wondered. I thought, well, he probably picked these because maybe he has the physical copies of both of these games. Oh, I do not. I do not. But then I remembered you said you were going to use the back bit, so that didn't make any sense. So. <laughs> okay. So. So, yeah, I'll have a few stories about trying to play these games because, uh, again, it, it was an excuse to get these systems out, use the backpick cartridge, uh, and unfortunately, everything that came out for me to play was not exactly yeah. how I remember putting it away, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, a number, a number of things I could talk about on that. But um, let's start with some games. We'll get there when we get there. How about that? Yep, let's do that. Uh, you are the keeper of stats. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with let's start with War Room on the ColecoVision. War Room on the ColecoVision is the developer was NAP Consumer Electronics. The publisher was Probe Two Thousand. Um, this was, of course, the ColecoVision. The release year for this was nineteen eighty three. Um, Wikipedia lists this as a shoot 'em up. Um, okay. <laughs> Single player game. Uh, it is the designer was Robert S. Harris. Um, one thing I will tell you about this right off the bat is I, I played this on my original ColecoVision, as I'm sure you did. Um, I had some questions about the game, so I went online and was doing research. And in every YouTube video I found of this game, were they Robert playing it Harris wrong? was Robert Harris was in the chat, like in the comments. <laughs> that's happened before in the past so, with another developer one time. But that's so hilarious. I found, that, I found that really cool that he's still out there going, "Yeah, I wrote that, and I'm you know I I want to talk about that, blah blah blah." But I, I I always find it really neat when developers take pride in their stuff and they'll go online and they'll answer questions and they'll talk to people, even if it. I mean, I really love it when even a developer's like, "Yeah." I really screwed the pooch on that game and it's, I, I screwed up and it's not as good as it could have been or, or I wish I had more time with it. I mean, I come across that stuff all the time and these people were in, you know, they were usually under a time crunch or a money crunch to get these games done. So they can't all be perfect, but uh, this guy seemed pretty proud of this game. So anyway, <laughs> I'll let you take over and start talking about it. Well, what I'll say really quick about this game is my experience with my ColecoVision first. So Yes. Hold it out. I, I, I want to chime in too. So hold it out. Go ahead when, when you're done. Yep. I was worried about the power supply because those always fail. I know yours was tough. Yep. Power supply works excellent. Brilliant picture quality on my screen. I do have an AV mod that I did to my ColecoVision. Works great. Controllers work great. Start loading up some cartridges. They're working great. Or or so I think. I start playing a game that I know pretty well, Toot and Calm. Yeah. Uh, play through the first level of that. There's a few little garbled artifacts on the screen, but then I just pressed reset and they went away. But every time I beat the first level, the next level would start and I'm stuck in a corner and the enemies are all stuck in a corner shaking. And that's it. That's not good. And I'm playing the that's actual not how cartridge. It's supposed to play. That's not how it's supposed yeah. to play. 
So then I took the back bit, tried the back bit, same thing. I'm like, okay, so it's the system. Yeah, the logic in the system, yep. And uh, so um, we'll get to it later eventually, but, you know, I've kind of deduced at this point, it's probably one of the RAM chips is bad. So I'm going to need to get the solder gun out and replace some RAM on my ColecoVision. So that's a bummer. That is a bummer. Um, So I went, my next step was to pull out my ColecoVision Micro up That's here. awesome. Yeah. Take a look. War Room not included on that one, unfortunately. Oh, because that one has the little templates too, doesn't it? It has for some, uh, templates for, for some of the games. Some of the games. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I'll get to it later, but I also did take a look at the Intellivision one that does have Bomb Squad. Okay. So I did try Bomb Squad on that Intellivision mini as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll talk about that next time. Okay. So I will, I will start surface level on this game. Uh, and I believe some of the history is that it was kind of inspired by, of all things, Missile Command. Correct. Um, and of course, if you know Missile Command, there's missiles falling down a 2D screen at your cities down below, and you have to shoot missiles, which kind of expand below. Hopefully, your bombs expand below where the missiles are going to go, and you try to time it just right where they hit your explosion, and you take out the missiles in the sky, right? Try to save your cities. So I'm guessing this character, Rob Lowe, or whatever you said his name was. Harris. Robert Harris. Harris. Robert Harris. <laughs> Rob Lowe. <laughs> said, no, it'd be great. Let's take that concept, except you're literally looking top down at a map of the United States that scrolls, by the way. And missiles are coming in from the sides, kind of like they're traveling towards certain cities in America. And you're trying to stop these missiles by shooting them down out of the sky, all a missile command. So that's the the... Half of the gameplay is that. I'll put it that way. Half the gameplay roughly is that. And it's okay. It'd be much better if uh, the ColecoVision's controller was not terrible. Yes. So I'd love to try this with one of the Retro Boys uh, ColecoVision controllers. Yeah, me too. Um, And I'd love to try it with, well, you know, yeah. So... Uh, I, that might be another future purchase for me is getting some some controllers for these consoles like the Intellivision and ColecoVision that are hard to enjoy just because of the controller. Um, now, the rest of the gameplay, uh, if you if you just plug this cartridge in or, or load it up and start playing the game, that's probably what you think the game is. Just that. Yeah, and, and let me just chime in here yeah. just for a quick note. If you go on eBay or eBay, if you go on YouTube and you look up this game and you'll find three or four videos of people playing this game, that's all they get into. So you're absolutely right. On the surface level, that's all people get into is like, oh, it's a shoot 'em up game. And then you go into the little room and you pick up the resource and you go out and that's all they think about. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I'll yeah. kind of track along with you, right? Yep. So, uh, quickly, I played this game, and I was having an okay time with it, and then all of a sudden, I ran out of shots. I ran, ran out of missiles. I'm like, shoot, there's got to be a way to get more, because now I'm just watching level after level. I'm still finishing the levels, because they're destroying a lot of my cities, but then the next level starts with less cities, and I just, I'm watching them continue to destroy my cities while I can't shoot. That can't be right. There's got to be more to it than that. So, first thing I do is go online. Look up the ColecoVision manual for War Room. Realize it's extensive. And I realized that the original game came with inlays for the controllers, as you were referencing. Yes. And there's a lot of buttons. <laughs> there are a lot of buttons, yes. <laughs> um, 
So the game, I'm, we're, I'm not. We don't need to describe every single button and aspect to the game, but no. But what I will say about it is, uh, it is much more than than just that. Um, I never did get Eric my Coleco Vision uh, working to the to the uh, ability that I could actually play this game with my actual hardware. Okay. Unfortunately, that meant I actually played it emulated online on my computer. Which worked out rather well, uh, but my with my new keyboard I have here, it doesn't have a number pad. Uh, okay. So I had to use like the one through zero on the top of my keyboard. It did not, it was not. That makes it great. harder, yeah. yeah. So without going too far into it, what you'll read in the manual, which is really, it, I love the concept of this. I love that somebody's like, I'm essentially going to take a resource management game and attach it to Missile Command and create this this true kind of like nuclear war experience. Um, so essentially, you've got, in your cities, you've got uh, various cities that produce either food, they'll pr- produce raw materials, they'll produce um, machinery, or they'll produce laser fuel. And then your little reticle is called the hunter-killer satellite, so you apparently have this reticle that you can shoot these missiles down with, but what you don't initially realize is, long story short, um, you can go into your cities and it's a resource management game where you're basically saying, okay, I have X amount of food, X amount of raw materials, X amount of machinery. I'm going to need to try to maintain these cities. I can grow things in cities that can city, cities can consume, uh, you know, maybe two food and two raw materials and produce uh, a unit of machinery. So you're in there trying to keep all these all these cities producing products to make other cities produce products to keep the whole thing flourishing and keep you flush with laser fuel so you can continue fighting off these missiles as much as possible um some of the screens are are funky where you're actually uncle sam it's like a uh, almost like the game food fight yeah you are uncle sam in fact in the manual it says you're uncle sam and you're you're dodging uh the the, the Russian little, uh, what is that? A sickle, a sickle um, and, um, hammer, hammer and sickle. Like these, these little icons are around. You're literally like trying to dodge them as you're collecting resources as uncle Sam. It's a, it's, it's a very hard hitting metaphor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Slap you well, over this the face. game came out smack in the middle of the cold war, which, True. which kind True. of, uh, wrote a lot of its bylines here. So, um, it, it, yeah, I mean, this is total Cold War fear built into a game. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Um, so again, uh, and there's uh, there's a button for every, uh, you know, it goes over scoring, how you, some strategic decisions you might m- want to make here. Uh, okay. It even has uh, a list of the attack waves at the back with every possible city depending on the attack wave. So yeah. that part's pretty cool. Do you want to explain that part? Because I actually like that. Nerd charts. Nerd charts. So in the back of the manual are nerd charts. And what they do is they show you, uh, like Cody said, the waves, like when basically these set these these things are encroaching on your cities and they are they hone in on specific regions of the of the United States and specific cities. And this chart will show some of their targets and what area of the country that they're coming from in waves. Then there's another chart that shows the United States, and it shows the major cities 
and what they produce. Do they produce laser fuel? Do they produce machinery? Do they produce food? Um, and they, they, the chart shows like, you better protect this city if you really need food, right? Yeah, which, um, is, which is the picture of a chicken, by the way. That means it's a city that makes food. Yeah, chicken. <laughs> chicken. Uh, so, but but it's cool when you're playing that game and you're in the map, right? It's a large screen filling, almost screen filling map that you have to scroll around of the United States. Mm-hmm. But you'll hear uh, it'll be silence for a while, which of course I thought was weird at first, but I realized later that's kind of time for you to run around to different cities and do some resource management. Exactly. There's also a pause button which freezes the whole game uh, and allows you just to mentally figure out what you want to do. But in order to act on anything, you have to unpause it, go to the city you want to go to, and and then hop into that screen and do some things. You can do resource management while the attacks are happening as well. It's just typically not a good idea because you're not fighting off missiles at that point. Missiles will blow your cities up in nuclear fashion. And so you'll hear the big air raid siren, which is actually pretty ominous. It's And then you'll see at the bottom of the screen a flashing kind of news alert that says, you know, missiles attacking the northeast, right? Yep. And that's uh, in that chart in the back. So you want to yep. like you 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 know what's coming. And then you actually have a small kind of screen, GPS kind of screen in the corner of the screen that shows little white dots where the missiles are, and you can kind of see which way they're 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 heading. So yep. you want to run your satellite over there, base your reticle with your terrible D-pad over there, and you're trying to shoot. Now, you don't, unlike Missile Command, you really don't shoot in front of these. You can pretty much just put your cursor over them and hit the button, and then they, yep. they die. There's just so many at times. It is challenging. I mean, they have a lot. There'll, be, there'll be 10 coming in on one city, and you have to really try to focus on trying to eliminate as many as you can. Well, it's funny because you kind of have to guess which cities they're going to. You know the general area, but... Yep. But some of them are, will be a slightly different trajectory than another one. So you're like, okay, that one's going probably somewhere else. And this one's clearly going to New York. That one might be going to, yep. you know, uh, Chicago or whatever. And then the closer, they, they're all white. The missiles are white. As they are getting closer to the city, they'll turn yellow. And then when they're almost there, they'll turn red. So that's another visual cue. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. So you're covering, you, it looks like you you got in this game just about as much as I did. I got into the manual. Okay. How did it actually play, Eric? <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, so let me back up a little bit. Um, This game is one I would have absolutely loved as a kid. I got in, I was big into SSI games, which which is like war game construction set, Panzer, General. Um, I loved these kind of games as a kid. But on consoles, this game is unheard of. This right? game, this type of game doesn't come out on consoles, especially a ColecoVision. It's like a PC game. It, it's like a PC game. And, and of this era, I played all sorts of games like this on my Commodore 64. So in this era and before I was playing, well, not before, but, but right in this era, I was playing a lot of games like this on my Commodore 64. But they're computer games. You don't, you just don't see something like this on, I mean, I really couldn't find, I'd research this, try to see how well this game did. And I, I couldn't find any numbers or, or anything, but it's amazing that this, that this game even exists, right. especially for ColecoVision. So I got to give kudos to that, man. I, I was waiting to see if there's anything you didn't mention that I wanted to cover. Cause I did play this quite a bit. Uh, but you covered uh, all the bases really well. Um, 
The only thing I found that helped me as I got more nerdy into this game was you know that on your satellite you can you can pick up resources and move them to different cities. Oh, I did not know that. And so that becomes important. Yeah, you can do that. In fact, there is a pick up and drop off button in the menus like and on the the D-pad. I didn't know that either until the author jumped in on a YouTube thing and said, <laughs> oh, you know, you can transfer resources to different cities. And I was like, what? And then once I did that, I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Um, but no, I, I played this. Um, it is exactly how Cody described it. Um, it is a living game in that the cities are getting nuked constantly. But as you develop more resources in your other cities, you can rebuild cities. So cities will get rebuilt. It'll be like, hey, New York has been rebuilt. And then it starts building, recollecting, or making resources again. I believe that happens every certain number of points. I know if you hit 10,000, a city will pop back up. Exactly. Um, So this game is as, I think a lot of people, and, and this was verified in YouTube, a lot of people play this like an arcade game, and it's not. It is a strategy game. It is something that you really need to sink your teeth into. With that said, this game, you cannot beat this game. It is what I would call a high score game. High score game, yeah. Um, and you play as fine. And, and you get as many levels as you can, and there is a score up there, but there is no way to win this game. And that... Cody, just like, just thermo, like a nuke, exactly. just like thermonuclear war. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And this game came out in that era of war games. The only smart move is not to play. No, what's hilarious is there is a game that I almost wanted to pick on ColecoVision. I also believe it was a, a console exclusive called War Games. Yeah, and I, I actually own that cartridge as well. But oh, cool. Actually, well, I don't. I don't own War Room, but I do own War Games. Uh, so quick. this game, this game, I, I, um, it, it, of course, oh, I, I should give my story real quick. Yeah. Yeah. My ColecoVision, I pulled out, got my back bit already, I booted up and it works. My power supply though is so bad that it causes wavy lines on the screen really mm, bad. Yeah. My video output is really, really bad and it isn't now, the Eric, Coleco, it's the power supply. Remember there was a recent power supply for sale that uses USB now for the ColecoVision. And I think I need to get that. I, I think I need to go buy that because mine was almost unplayable. I, I did enough to get the feel for the controller and and to play it, but then I switched to my Mr. and I played it there. Okay. And honestly, the way... Listen, the Mr. plays it perfectly, but I had to connect a keyboard that had a numpad and map manually map the numbers to it. So I did have it all set up on the mister and it played fine. But um, I had to keep a little tablet next to me of the like little template of the, you know, for the for the buttons on the ClicoVision. Uh, and, and then playing with the right joystick doesn't feel right. I mean, you know what I mean? It, it feels better, but it doesn't feel right um, <laughs> to be authentic. Um because uh, I'm sitting there using, you know, almost like an Xbox style controller and it's it's just doesn't feel it feels weird. But I, I had to finish using that. I had to finish using the Mr. because my ColecoVision looked horrible. So the, the, your Mr. has DB9 inputs, right? It does. It does now. He yeah. With the snack stuff, which we'll be covering later. Oh, it does okay. Have, so that's, OK, that's new. I didn't realize that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so it does. I, I was able to play with a regular DB9 controller um, and. 
for games that don't support snack on the mister i have this little uh adapter um for atari 2600 controllers for usb and that works great I, i've had that thing forever and that so probably I plug feels in USB more of the just, era yeah yeah exactly quick look on ebay because i want to know yes this is a game i wouldn't mind having a physical copy of with the inserts same and the manual and i'm seeing a bunch of new like sealed ones for 70 80 bucks looks like there's one right now for 39 that comes with mostly everything i found one up top here that was less yeah but um only included here you go it actually includes Time Pilot as well, which is a great game, but not on the ColecoVision, unfortunately, and Popeye. But it, it does include the uh, the overlay. The manual, the as manual. long as it had the cartridge manual and even one overlay for yep. me, because from what I gathered, this isn't a two-player game, so you're not going to... Correct. It doesn't hurt you not to have... It did come with two templates, but you don't need them. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in... Well, I guess we're kind of giving some of my review away. I'd be interested in buying the full experience here. You can so buy you reproduction overlays for $7. That's Hey, I'm okay with that. All right. Just use the back, butt bit, uh, a PDF of the manual and a $7 reproduction overlay. Get the, get the experience. Uh, I'm so nerdy. I, I want a physical of the manual. So I, I do too. <laughs> yeah, I do. And, and the manual is, is pretty cool. I think the graphics in the manual scream 80s. <laughs> oh, it is a good-looking manual. And like I said, it's extensive. Yeah. So it's not like it's a small two-page pe- two thing. It's, a, it's, it's got some heft. Beefy. So very cool. All right, Eric. Yeah. Um, what are we going to – what rating system are we going to use for an Intellivision and ColecoVision game unique to the system? Both of them are kind of uh, pressure situations, if you will, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what can we think know. of I'm here? Gonna put the, I'm going to put these in my spreadsheet real quick. Um, so War Room is the one we're working on now. Um, what? Yeah, what rating system? Maybe, um, it's, I mean, it's a countdown timer, kind of both of these. Maybe we just say like out of 60 seconds sure. until the world explodes. Yep, 60 seconds. Uh, out of 60. 60. So Did for you me... want to go first? For me... This is what's hard is do we rate this as an overall experience or are we judging the game? Because this game with a decent controller would feel at least five points better to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And we're gonna get to this for the next game because woof. Cause woof. Woof. Uh but I think it, you it have to affect- it didn't affect me as bad on the ClickaVision as it did the Intellivision. And that could really? be just my setup. But um, yeah, I mean, again, because I had to play this on the Mr. because my Coleco didn't look very good. I, I That's ended true. up That's true. taking advantage of a more modern controller. So I can't. Uh, I did play it, though. I played it for a solid hour and a half on the original ClickaVision because I just suffered through cr- horrible video quality. So I did get the feel for the controller, so I like, which I always try to do in our reviews. Um, I'm gonna give this game. I guess I'll go first here, if that's okay. I'm gonna give it forty six out of six. Oh wow, wow! Yeah. Like you said, uh, you you kind of nerd out on this. I did. I, I love these kind of games, strategy games, and eight bit strategy games are my jam. I love them. 
So for me, I agree with that. I love these kind of games too. I was excited about the resource management. I was excited about a lot of things. The individual pieces, however, always just kind of made me always excited for the next part, regardless of where it was. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, kind of like the sign outside the bar that says free beer tomorrow. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, shooting the missiles wasn't, it was fun, but not terribly fun. And then the no. resource management part was a little janky. And then the controllers really is was the biggest letdown, but that's just ColecoVision, right? Right. Um, I'm going to give this a 35. 35 out of 35. 60. For yep. me, the best part about it was the concept, the atmosphere. It actually did a great job with the atmosphere. And the manual is great. <laughs> yeah. The manual is great, so... The manual is great, and you're right. I would love to get a real copy of this. If I could find a boxed copy of it, uh, man, that would be awesome. Cool, cool. All right, go ahead and give us some some dry stats on on the next game here. Next game that we're covering is on the Intellivision, and this game is called Bomb Squad. Um, it is one of only five titles that used the IntelliVoice voice synthesis module. This game, <clears throat> I dare say, cannot be played without the voice module. The voice stuff gives you so many clues that it makes it almost impossible to play without it. Um, this game came out October 1st, 1982, so before the other game we're comparing it to. Um, It was by Mattel Electronics. The publisher and developer was Mattel Electronics. It's rated as an action and strategy style game. Um, Let's see. What else can I say about Bomb Squad? Um, The box that it came in is really cool and and very, dare I say, iconic. It's a beige box. Um, it, it, it again takes advantage of the voice synthesis thing and a big on the screen, it says it talks and adds voice to the Intellivision. So Cody, I was wrong. One out of five, one out of five titles that uses Intellivoice. So how many total? Did did it say how many total? There were only five titles that use the Intellivoice. Oh, only five. Yeah. Which I said eight, I think. So yeah, five. From back in the day. I mean, there might be newer ones. That I think there that. were five specific to it. There's, I, okay. I know there's five that came in that box that said yeah. speech, whatever. But I know, for example, there was that game that Tim was playing on the Intellivision with the bear and the honey. Oh. Or yeah, was that? Yeah, oh, that was the that TI. One. No, that was the TI-99. That was the TI. I, the I'm only sorry, one I I'm know sorry. of is, is, the, is the... Bomb Squad. Uh, not Bomb B-17, Squad. Uh, B-17, B-17 Bomber. Bomber. Which which is the one I saw like in the store and was drooling over uh, me and my buddy, Jesse were so like, yeah, we'd go to toys. We'd ride our bikes, to Toys R Us just to play that game. Cause it was on display at Toys R Us. And then we were like, Oh, this is amazing. We got to have this. We never got it. Um, so one thing that's interesting in, 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 in the research I did here is like one place calls this a puzzle game. And then the next place calls it a, let me look here. Exercise action and, strategy game. Ex- exercise and frustration. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what you would call it, but it is interesting. So anyway, those are the dry stats for a bomb squad on the Intellivision. So let's begin. 
So, yeah, I'll tell you my experience real quick, and then I'll let yeah. you describe the gameplay this time because I kind of sure. stole all the thunder on the last one. So with this one, the uh, reason I chose this, again, uh, it was an Intellivision voice game, which is always cool. And it's mm-hmm. one that I have wanted to play since I got my Intellivision. I, I have B-17 Bomber and really wanted to delve into Bomb Squad and learn the game. It looked really interesting from the pictures. I'm like, oh, it's going to be some kind of a puzzle strategy. Uh, I just love the concept of your, you know, trying to disarm a bomb with this complicated circuitry and you're doing these things. Didn't quite know how it was going to play out. But yeah, I was ready for like a kind of interesting strategy, thought-provoking game. It was very Intellivision in that it's layers deep of all these different intricate things you have to do or learn. And, you know, again, both these systems kind of do that well because of almost their design philosophy and the fact that they have all these buttons. All these kind of designers that made games specific to these systems kind of went this route, which is what I love about these two systems, right? Which is always funny because the ColecoVision also has like the most arcade perfect ports of all these systems too. But uh, Atari was very much a different animal than these two. Um, so for my, really quick, my experience is I got the back bit, popped it into my uh, Intellivision, and the game popped right up. And I started trying to play the game and immediately was lost, right? I'm like, I'm missing something. Uh, looks great, by the way. Uh, my Intellivision does have a slight dark line that will slowly scroll up the screen. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the power supply. Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could definitely be the power supply. Um, so th- I do have that. So I, I need to address that. Uh, but then I realize I'm missing something, right? So I go and online. You have, the AV, you have the AV mod on yours, right? We did yes. it. Uh, I think at the same time. You and I did it similar. Yep. Maybe a few months apart, but I did it composite mod on mine and it looks fantastic yep um but i had a bad power supply and it ripples like there's a line that moves up gotcha so Um, i might yeah it might just be a power supply for me i'll check that yep uh that's a good point and i'll get to that in a second so okay so then i'm like okay and this again was just because i haven't used my intellivision uh for over a year and a half probably so confirmed that the game worked well and again i have the actual cartridge right so then i tried the back bit and it worked exactly the same great then i plugged the speech cartridge in uh, the speech module in the side and first of all that ripple got really bad thicker yeah thicker that yeah that's that's the power yeah <laughs> so it, it probably amplified the issue by the time it went through another circuit yep. board more connections right yeah and the fact that you just told me the power supply I feel like a dummy uh long story short it was driving me nuts so I actually got out the old soldering gun, took the whole thing apart, and replaced capacitors. Okay. Uh, I successfully... Did that, help, did that help at all? It did not. Okay. For what it's worth, when I put it all back together, it looked uh, almost the same, maybe slightly worse, but it could have just, it could have just <laughs> been... It could have just Don't. been because I plugged it in a slightly different angle or something, you know? Like, it, sure. it's about the same. But definitely worse than just having the cartridge straight in without the speech module. Uh, so the issue is this game has a lot of, uh, of, of, you have to make sure you're, you're paying attention to colors and you'll get into that here in a second. I'm sure. Yes. Uh, and I could, every time that, that ripple would go up the screen, it would like change the colors. <laughs> so I'm like, man, yeah. I am missing something. I watch a video. First of all, realize you've got to have the speech module with this game. You cannot play it without it. 
Yep. So uh, I mentioned that in the beginning, like you yeah. have to have it. He gives you clues and you, it, I guess you could try to play it without it, but it would be almost impossible. Uh, and I'll let you again, again, get, get into uh, the gameplay shortly, but then I'm like, you know what? I need to see the color. So let me get my Intellivision flashback up here, my mini, which has bomb squad on it and try that. So I have yep. that plugged in. Now that does plug into my old CRT. It's not HDMI. Uh, that thing's 10 years old now, too, itself. Um, and it's beautiful, and it's pretty, and uh, the emulation goes way too fast. Oh, no. Everything on the screen just flashes. It goes this one, second, this one, first, this one, third. I'm like, they all flash at once. I don't know what you're talking about. So it's unplayable on that thing, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, that so sucks. I did end up playing it on the original <clears throat> and doing some research, kind of learned the strategy of it and how you do it. Yeah. Uh, and so I'll let you describe that now. I'll, I'll stop there, but sure. Uh, and you can chime in here because I, I played this probably three weeks ago, so I might be missing some things here. Basically when the game starts, there's a skyline and it asks for difficulty. What the difficulty does, I think it's difficulty one through three is yep. the number of digits in the code to disarm the bomb. Okay, so just keep that in mind. When you see the digits to put in, so I, I'll, I'm going to be honest with you. I only played this on easy, so I only had one code. Same, same, same. Yeah, so I had one digit. Um, the digit is all screwed up. Okay, um, so the digit it, imagine is like a dot matrix screen uh, made yep. out of like a five by six grid yep. of pixels, if you will. Yep, it's kind of got like an LCD screen and it's kind of like standing straight up and down and there's like a grid and there's like a bunch of funky characters in there so you can't read the number that's supposed to be in there, okay? Um, now, in the manual, which is very handy, it But also a bit you, vague. Also a bit vague. A bit vague. No, no, it's very... So the, the manual's confusing. So I didn't learn how to play this game from the manual... I read the manual and it still didn't help me. I yes. watched online and figured it out. There was an excellent guy. I wish I remembered his name. He went through like how to play this game. Okay. So I, I, I wish I did that because I yeah. played the game, got lost, checked the manual, thought I got it, went back to the game, got lost, went back to the manual. I spent about two hours total yeah. going back and yeah. forth trying to figure out what I'm doing, Eric. <laughs> it's very hard. But once you get it, it, it's okay. So there's a picture of what the numbers are supposed to look like in the grid. By the way, there is a typo in the manual shows the number seven wrong because it shows you all the lights are supposed to be lit up in the grid. And there's an extra one, which could really screw you up yeah, when you're really trying could. to figure out the number. So what you're doing is in the game conceptually is that you pick the level and the number of digits, um, then you get 30 minutes, which aren't those don't equate to real minutes. OK, um, they're real game minutes, 30 minutes. Um, a bomb timer begins to count down. And so you have to decode these four by five numbers in the circuit before the time runs out. How do you do that? Well, there's a circuit board and it looks like a circuit board with Lee's Components that are all these different colors, orange, blue, yellow, red. You have to fix the components in the circuit board that aren't working. And you basically, on the numpad, you pick different tools to use. Uh, there's like a little clip, clipper yeah, that like cutters. cuts the circuits. 
There's a soldering iron so that you can, well, tweezers, so you can go grab different um, components and drag them into place. There's a soldering iron to come over and you solder to the left and to the right of the component to solder it into the circuit. There's a fire extinguisher, which in the later levels, things will catch on fire in the circuit. If you go, if you don't get to them to a certain, in a certain amount of time, it, it overheats, it overheats and does something. I don't, I didn't play on the higher levels. So I don't know. Um, and then there's, so basically what you're doing is unsoldering things or, or clipping things out, moving them, which you just drag and drop them off of the edge of the screen. And then you grab a circuit and bring it in. Now, how do you know which component to bring back into the circuit? Well, that's the part that the manual was very confusing about. Here's now, what it is. Now, really quick, I don't remember you telling uh, that the voice tells you which ones to replace in which order. Correct. It does. Yeah. That kind of comes first, I think. I wanted. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, it, it tells you basically. Well, l- l- I'll get to the part okay. where, where, where it talks about the components. Basically, what you're doing is you're clipping a component out, and then they'll all either be the right color or they'll all be the right shape for the components. Or they'll all be wires. The, gray, the wire, the gray wires. Bypass correct. wires. So if that sounds confusing to you out there listening, it, it is confusing. So it's very hard... Once you get the first one, then they become a little bit easier um, to, to, to do. While you're trying to hone in on these components with the crappy Intellivision controller, um, <laughs> the voice message will be like, hey, move left or move right. Or, or I don't remember exactly what it says to you, but it's basically guiding you to it only guides extract. you and you miss though it's like you're trying to yep. cut this wire and you're a little too far to the right i was like move left move yep, exactly left, and then you move left and cut it and this thing can be very pixel perfect very sensitive to where you're trying to and you're using this crappy controller so one thing in the early difficulties <laughs> in the early difficulties it is um you move very slowly and in the higher levels, you're, you move very much faster, which doesn't help you. The higher levels, like it really is like hard to get pixel precise when your when your tool is moving so fast or uh, above really? the circuit. I didn't go. I didn't do the higher levels, so I don't. I didn't yeah. notice that. And not to mention the earlier ones have fewer components, where the later one has a lot more components to, yeah. to basically do this. So basically, once you do that and you solder in all the components in their proper places, it will then tell you if you've if you got it right or got it wrong. And then a thing will light up on the digital display um, showing you a part of the number that you're supposed to be inputting in. There's a button on the keypad where you can input the number at any time. But if you get it wrong, you lose a bunch of time off the clock. Um, so there's a little risk so, reward. I mean, you technically could win this thing in 10 seconds. You have a, what, one in 10 chance, right? Zero through nine. Exactly. But if you look at the, if you look at the manual where all the pixels are in the number and you look at what pixels, it'll narrow it down quite a bit. Like, Oh, maybe it got the top of the two and maybe that's part of the one, but it's not part of, you know, this number or whatever. Yep. You can kind of start figuring out and narrowing down what number it is. 
Yeah, you kind of look at the, there's two screens, right? There's that digit that you're trying to thing. And then if you click on any pixel in that digit, you go into the circuit board thing to try to confirm or if that digit exists or is a blank. Correct. And, uh, and yeah, so a lot of the game is you staring at that main screen trying to figure out, okay, with what I know now, what digits could it be? And therefore, which one of these pixels do I want to try to hop into the circuit board to confirm before I make a guess? Uh, and, and you can either take your time to make sure it, you narrow it down to the point where you know exactly what number it is, or else you can be like, all right, this is either a one or a seven. And I only have five minutes left, so let me just pick one of those two. I've got it down to 50-50 chance here. Yep. Which really does, that part does kind of feel like you're defusing a bomb, right? Where you're like, is it the yep. red wire or the blue wire? If, you're, if you drop a component onto the circuit board, like you don't actually get, the timer starts running a lot faster, which is always like, oh, what's going on? You know, like, like uh, it, there is a definitely a panic kind of feel to this game when you're playing it. The timer and, speeds up and then and the sound starts going. Burp, 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 burp. Yep. But the voice is integral in this game. You can't play really without it. Um, it would be so difficult to do. The biggest frustration I had with this game is that um, it using that controller, the, the disc controller, like it's on the Intellivision, th- for this type of game is horrible. It is horrible. I found myself Burn. just battling the, the controller more than anything else in this game. Um, and maybe that's part of the game. You know, part of the fun is trying to get it lined up exactly, and that's the challenge in the game. I just found it overwhelmingly frustrating um, on the re- on the original on the yeah, o- real yeah. Intellivision, which is what we're basing our review off of. So yes, yep, yeah. So what I'll say is, once I finally figured out what this game is uh, and understood it, that was the first frustration. Um, I agree with the controller thing. I'll talk about that shortly. But there also is a button on if you hit the. The bottom left button that uses the tool that you're using, either if you're cutting or soldering or whatever. The other button, if you hold that down, it makes your tool move faster while you're holding that button down. So when you're playing this, your hand is like this claw and the controller pressing like multiple buttons to do very simple tasks. Um, I'll just say if this game was on a device with a mouse, it would be a whole different feeling game, even if nothing else changed. It'd be a whole different game. Yeah. Do you it, think it would almost be too easy? Though? It'd almost be a good game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. I, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so right. here, controller aside, we'll really get to that in a second. But what the game is is deduction, which I love on that with that digit, hopping into this mini game, which is really the majority of the game. And if you, what's frustrating is you can't like deduce the answer by looking at it. You have to start replacing pieces and have the computer tell you, Nope, that's the wrong piece. And you're like, well, it looks identical to the one I just replaced. So I guess like it's not a shape. Right. So then you have to cut it back out, throw it away, go, go. Okay. Well now let me try. It was orange. It must be color, right? It must be uh, orange. Oh shoot. There's two orange pieces for me to choose from. Well, pick one. And if that's wrong, pick the other orange one. (laughs) <laughs> it could be either orange one. All, all right? the while, the time is ticking down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you're like, shoot, it's not either orange one. It must be the wire, and then you're fine. But let's say it is the other orange one. Okay, now I know the rest of this puzzle is going to be based on color. So really, 
you're you're struggling to figure out if it's shape, color, or the wire bypasses that you're going to be using for the entire rest of the puzzle. And then, yeah, the voice will say, do this one second, do this one first, do this one third, out of order to try to throw you off, and those parts flash. So you kind of have to remember that, and you can hit a button, and it'll continue to tell you that over and over again. But uh, that was the part I was having a problem with with the Intellivision flashback, is it would just flash like everything really quick, so fast you couldn't see it. And then say this one first, this one second, this one third. I'm like which one? Funny, why? They, why would they include that in there? Like, didn't they test any of these games? Yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> that was at, that was at games. I still love the thing, but uh, probably not. Yeah. Ultimately, this game comes down to the fact that ninety five percent, if not more, of the gameplay is literally you struggling with the controller to accurately pixel perfect cut out these parts and replace them only to find out that all that work you did was not the right part, not because you did something wrong, just because that's how the game's designed. Again, if you had a mouse and you were just doing this by by hand, and it yeah. was more a mental game, and you're trying to figure things out, it'd be the, a whole different feeling game. It'd be much more enjoyable. Like, I could see this be a 10-minute clock, and you're doing it with a mouse quickly. Yeah, Same exact game with no programming changes would be great. As it is, it's just literally a game built around you fighting the Intellivision controller. Yeah. I So I 100% agree. I mean, without giving away the plot here, I, I found this game to be so frustrating. And not the game, per se. Just trying to use the controller to do what the system needed to do. I got to tell you, even when I played this because of, I played it mostly just on my television because my television works okay. But I did try to play it on the Mister. Even with a better, more modern controller, it's still hard. It's yeah. still, it's not so much the controller, even though the television controller makes it much harder. It's still frustrating because it's pixel perfect and it's, um, it, it it's just trying to battle that is not fun. I, I did not enjoy my time playing that part of this game at all. So, which is the most, by far the most of the game. Exactly. Cool concept. I still love the idea of it and it's still what drew me to the game, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't even say the execution was bad. I think the hardware does, does not work for this type of game. No. Um, so. And, and, and I, I want games where it requires the IntelliVoice and it's integral to the gameplay, which this, that's what it got, this game got right. Yeah. I was like, sure. hey, we, we have this feature, the voice thing, and we want to use this. Not, um, not just to say, hey, cool, look, sound, but yeah. it's part of the game. It's part of the game. And I wish they did that with other games more and there were more games available for that. But this game just... And it starts, yeah, and of course, I don't like puzzle games, and this really ultimately is what this game is. So, <laughs> All right, um, Eric, score out of 60 seconds? Yep, out of 60 seconds. Um, I'll go first. I'm going to give this game a 22. I'm 21. 21. Okay. I guess we don't need to do any fancy math here to figure out the winner. <laughs> I mean, you can go as fancy as you want, but if uh, Bomb Squad won, you did it wrong. Um, yeah this it's uh i was very disappointed i was honestly hoping to love this game and expecting the other game to kind of disappoint me a bit and it was really kind of the opposite 
Yeah, I agree too. Because when I saw first saw the graphics, I was like, "Oh man, um, you know, I, I have a feeling that this War Room game is going to be too complicated, and this other game is going to be just fun." Yep. And so, in my mind, in very in the beginning, I was like, "Okay, well, let's let me play these." But I have a feeling Bomb Squad's going to win, and it didn't. Did not. It did not win. War so Room. Our winner is War it. Room. Yay! Yay! Cool. And that is, I, hey, oh, hey. Uh, <laughs> that is the end of uh, episode 124 of Pixel Guy Den. Yeah. So, as we mentioned last time, uh, we'll be right back at you here on the 29th of February, in which we're going to talk about six good ZX Spectrum games to play on the next. Yeah. Hmm? Uh, we're going to talk with Tim about uh, various topics in Coffee Talk. Uh, we are going to have Eric's take on whichever of those two options he mentioned earlier comes to yep. fruition. And uh, we're going to, of course, catch up on the regular uh, daily retro video game life of, of these three stooges. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Cool. All right, Eric. All right. I guess there's nothing else for us to do outside of telling all the wonderful listeners out there. It's It's dangerous dangerous to to go go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D U H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at Oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at Sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixel guide in. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. <laughs>